Podcast for Ghosts in the Shell. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Murkowski. Uh, My name is Major Murkowski, and I give consent to delete this podcast. Hey! And with a Ghost in the Shell tagline, it's for the the movie, not the original anime manga cartoon, Kelly Wand. A short circuit you can jerk off to. Whoa, whoa, Kelly Wand. Well, there goes our PG-13 rating. Well, we never wanted that anyway. That's true. The PG-13 Short Circuit 1 or 2. Yep. All right. What else you got, Kelly Wand? <laughs> these, these taglines come in packs. She's like Black Widow, but taupe and a virgin. <laughs> uh, I don't know that she I agree sex with that. that last, well, but okay. She's interested in just it Just because either. you don't have sex during the course of a movie, Kelly Wand, does not make your character a virgin. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> if you don't have sex in the movie, you never have sex. Okay. Ask Charlie Brown. And the evangelicals. <laughs> Wait, why yeah. am I asking Charlie Brown? I guess he is a virgin, so fair screen. enough. Yeah. I do seeing, he's seeing uh, Sally, though. The actors are off, off screen at the craft services table. Wait, Sa- he doesn't like – he likes the little redheaded girl. What's the matter with you? No, that's his character. <laughs> but the actual – the cartoon the actor plays, plays Charlie, Charlie Brown. Brown is into I see, Sally. I Pretend she's in the Linus on the show, but in, I was not aware of the sordid past, uh, all this sordid background stuff. Next, you're going to tell me that the Brady Bunch was sleeping with each other. Uh, that makes <laughs> sense. Let's get back to Ghost in the Shell taglines. Are there more? It's like Blade Runner if Pris was the heroine. I kind of like that one, Kelly Wand. They're not I mean, all supposed to be like, That's not even like a joke. That's like a cool tagline. Yeah. Well, I want to give the post- cynic, the poster maker, something to work right. with. All right, what uh, else? It's like Under the Skin, but with a Wild Wild West third act. <laughs> I got that one. Don't but it only has six right? legs, though. Does it? It's yeah. an insect? Fucking idiots. Yeah, so, it's really... It's really... the spoiler part. You guys are oh, spoiling. I didn't Ghost count so far. Yeah. This time, Scarlet faces only one eight-legged freak. Remember, because she was in that? She was in Eight-Legged Freaks? Yeah, she tases wow. the guy's nuts. Man, the she first thing I remember her from is... I don't remember yeah. her from anything before Ghost World, I guess. That was after Ghost World. Eight-legged is that the only Freaks movie she's been Ghost in with World. David Arquette? Her mom and it's Carrie, Kari uh, were. You know who that is? Yeah, from, uh, please, uh, please. All do right, it. all right, all right. I've, I've had blank looks, but I live in Hamburg, so... <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and start spoiling Ghost in the Shell. I think it's about that time. Dingus, before we get to that, though, give us what? some faith. It's not about that time. It is about that time. About That's what you Not quite. Yeah. yeah. Just something to look forward to. Sorry. Understood. All right, well, this week we saw Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. A 2017 American science fiction action crime drama sort of remake movie. Uh, about Law and Order Special Cybers Unit. <laughs> crime drama. Uh, it was. <laughs> it is a crime drama. How dare you? That's, yeah. It was directed by That's Rupert crime. Sanders hmm. and written by Jamie Moss and William Wheeler and Erhan Kruger. Sad. Dishonest. Failing New York Times. Uh, based on the comic 
Ghost in the Shell by Masamune Shiro. It stars Scarlett Johansson. Oh, God. Pilo Azbek. What? Beat Takeshi Katano. Mm. Uh, I like the name. Michael Carmen Pitt. Yeah, love the name. He's now <laughs> Carmen Pitt, not just Michael Pitt. He got married, and, I guess. He married Carmen Miranda or something. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, <laughs> And Anna Maria Marinka. Who is that? Um, it's a scientist he, character. Oh, the scientist with the eyes. Okay. Yeah, and you know what we've seen her into? No, I don't. What? Uh, she was in four months, three weeks, and two days. Oh, no way. Wow. For that oh, long? She, she was the main chick, right? I can see her face yeah. now. Wow, mm-hmm. awesome. Poor. Well, you didn't know that until you looked it up, right? No, well, I remembered because she was also in Fury, and we talked about that a little bit in Fury, at least. Or at least I remember talking about it in Fury. The movie Fury, the tank movie, not Fury Road. Right. I was the not there. Where the thing doesn't move. You weren't? Uh, I was not. I think that was when you guys were covering for me. Uh, yeah, I, I have was. seen Fury, though. Yeah. Yes, that was the non-Spider Tank movie. Anyway, Anna Maria Marinka. It was a pleasure to see her again. Ghost in the Shell is rated PG-13 mm-hmm. for intense sequences of sci-fi violence. Wrong. Some, some disturbing images and suggestive oh. content. There was smoking, though. I wish they'd that there was. That there was smoking by uh, Anna Maria Marinka, actually. Those Europeans but, um, like their cigarettes. But this one oh. just has suggestive content. So Kelly you guys have to tell me what that is. Did they miss anything, Kelly Wan, that needs to go in there? I would give this movie a soft 3D because it contains simulated anime, white face, graphic PG-13 slow motion, and mocap knobs. But no adult situations, so that's 30%. <laughs> Uh, Ghost in the Shell is at 53 on Metacritic. What? Average rating for various reviews. Well, stand by, Kelly Wan, because on Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive, under 50%, only 43% of reviews are positive for Ghost in the Shell. Both threes. Idiots are not quite sure what to make of it, but basically they're like, nah, I didn't like it. They only gave it a B. (laughs) That sounds like they know what to make of it. It's because they don't understand horror. Yeah. Ghost in the Shell underperformed quite quite a bit. Just, uh, I think Paramount was hoping it would hit about 25, maybe 30 million. It's a Scarlett Johansson vehicle. It barely made 19 million, and it came in third behind Boss Baby and Beauty oh. and the Beast. Oh, almost the same titles. The guy at Box Office Monday, uh Brad Brevett, who writes up the, the, the tallies every weekend, uh, he actually suggests that the fact – that it tanked, that it didn't do well, uh, probably adds fuel to the spreading conventional wisdom that these these action movies, this genre, really doesn't have to be PG-13 to make money. You know, right. Deadpool, Logan, the John Wick movies, there's uh, one of the John Wick guys who didn't do the sequel. He's got a, a hard R movie coming out in uh, this summer with Charlize Theron called Atomic Blonde. If that does well, uh, Brevet is suggesting that maybe – this is just paving the way. When PG-13 movies tank, there's someone at the studio probably thinking, eh, maybe if we made this an R-rated movie. We're a Deadpool era now. It is, yeah, exactly. And by the way, I had someone correct me on something in the podcast that I find very interesting. When we talk about Deadpool and Logan, that is not Disney Marvel. 
you guys know this? This whole the way that this whole thing breaks down. Uh, D- Disney, I don't really follow that stuff. Well, Disney is not doing R-rated movies as we suggested. The Marvel fr- license is is broken up amongst uh, 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 Fox. Fox has Deadpool right. and X Men. That's not the Disney Marvel. Yeah. So that they're, that's Avengers, and they're not allowed to use that. Spider-Man is still at Sony. And, uh, so when you see a Marvel movie, it's not necessarily a Disney movie. So when we were talking – me, when I was talking about how, hey, this is Disney partitioning some of the Marvel properties for our ratings, that's not at all what's going on. This is Fox finding a niche for, for their Marvel movies when the X-Men movies don't do well. And they made Deadpool. They made Deadpool and they made Logan. Yeah, right. so – Disney is not the one, as I incorrectly suggested before, who's putting out R-rated Marvel movies. That's strictly yeah. a Fox thing at this point. So at any rate, uh, the fact that Ghost in the Shell tanked with its PG-13, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, is, is good news for R-rated action movies, according to uh, Brad Brevet at Box, Box Office Mojo. Mm. It's Brevet is be- the soul of R. <laughs> to raise a village. Oh, uh, but... Yeah, it's an argument against casting a white actress, too, maybe. That I disagree with. We'll get to that in a minute, too, by the way, because I, I think there's a bit of a kerfuffle about yeah, the I don't think that, casting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Kelly Wan, before we start getting into the, the – before we dive deep, Kelly Wan, why don't you give us a synopsis – oh, no, before we do a deep dive, whatever, I screwed that up. Oof. Before we do what Scarlett Johansson did to a geisha robot, why don't you, Kelly Wan, <laughs> give us a synopsis – of Ghost in the Shell, maybe perhaps a Gopsis in the Shellopsis. Sure. <laughs> I'm happy with that. I just said Ghost in the Sheezus. <laughs> I'm not happy with that. Not happy with it. Jesus. Jesus. Tom. <laughs> Some words are all. In the future, man and woman and machine are the same thing, kind of. Also, everything will be dark blue, like in James Cameron. Some doctors wheel a body into a lady brain removal room. <laughs> you like that? The doctors all, wait, you want me to throw away Scarlett Johansson's body and keep the brain? That has to be a typo. A brunette foreign lady with eyes is all. Her brain is Japanese in this. Give her a white body. It's not whitewashing, it's brainwashing. Now do these things that we are going to do. The doctor sighs and sighs <laughs> the doctor sighs and saws off Asian Scarlet's head, takes out her brain, puts it on a cot, then watches sourly as CG animators come in and render a new Scarjo body around it. The brunette's all. Scarlet, can you hear me? I am Dr. Zlivzowski-Vich. Scarjo opens her eyes and starts gasping. The doctor's all. Don't forget how to breathe. That is wheezing and choking. Scarjo's all. <coughs> Which franchise is this again? Lucy? Don John? Please not the island. The brunette's all. Strange that your brain is Japanese, but your first words are in English. Maybe this is dubbed. I mean, good news. You are now robot assassin. Not whatever you were before. Your sidekick will be this man. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland with a white widow's peak walks on screen. No. Oh. Ouch. <laughs> I don't know people. So sad. Pilu. <laughs> oh, that's his name? It's Pilu Aspek. I love saying his name. It's so much fun for your mouth. That should be Chelsea Pretty and Jordan Peele's baby's name. Kiefer Sutherland's all, I think I'm human. 
except for my lips and my eyes later. Some words are all ghost in the sheep, sis. Scarjo walks to the top of the skyscraper. Her handler's an old Asian guy. He speaks into his telepathy headset. Major uh, Shell, uh, uh, the meeting between a man with brown hair and the vice admiral of Africa is about to start. <laughs> I was paying attention to the plot. Copy that. Now that I rode all the way up here by elevator, I shall now become invisible from my brief fall through space. She disrobes to reveal herself wearing a naked body-shaped mocap suit the color of cream. My dick raises a white card, 6.9. She jumps off the building headfirst backwards and draws her guns from somewhere. The Asian guy's all, uh, the conference is on the top floor. They're in the meeting room. <laughs> In the meeting room, to the African guy, the brown-haired man's all, yeah, just imagine how many sides your pyramids could have with a few of my spider tanks on your construction crew, huh? The vice admiral of Africa's all, we have a saying in my country. The brown-haired man looks over to see his geisha overpouring tea into his teacup and spilling all over his saucer and onto his pants. He's all, hmm, that's weird. This one's not even programmed to know how I prefer my tea yet. Suddenly, the geisha tricks him by shooting him. Some gunmen walk on screen and also shoot him, then start shooting each other at the diners at the long table. <laughs> Scarjo tricks their bullets by running across a wall in slow motion. Then she tricks the geisha by strangling it. The geishas all collaborate with Danza, Robonauticals, and be destroyed. She shoots it in the face CG till it loses interest. Kiefer Sutherland shows up and goes, Don't worry, my character's here. Hey, why didn't you go invisible during the battle? Scowling, she now goes invisible on her way out to annoy the armed cops trying to enter the room through the hallway. The gang reconvenes at HQ to talk about what they've learned. A younger Asian guy's all, I think my thing's guns. The old wise Asian's all, hmm, Danza Robosonics made some of you. Maybe there's a connection between whatever I'm saying and a nightclub I went to last week. You two check it out. On it. Come on, Kiefer. She turns invisible and starts around, <laughs> starts walking around bumping into stuff. <laughs> they get bored on their way to the nightclub, so they visit a lady scientist. A different one. This lady sniffs the air and goes, ah, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett sighs and turns visible. So, yeah, I had broccoli for lunch. The scientist is all. Speaking of which, I analyzed the brain of that geisha, which wasn't easy with your bullet embedded, FYI. But rather than just tell you what I gleaned, I think you'll learn more if you lay on the slab and we jack you into its brain. Or as we call it, she makes air quotes, the deep state. <laughs> Scarlet lays out a cot and goes, my name's Major Johansson Augie in this, and I give you my consent, but only to make me insane. The doctor sighs with disappointment and hits a switch that sends Scarlet's brain to a place where she gets groped by a human pyramid of screaming albinos. I lean over to the Candor's ex machina character and go, I know which albino I am. Since the albino hell dreams a bust evidence-wise, she and Keeper go to the strip club bar in an aquarium. At the door, the bouncer's all, what's the password? She shrugs. He nods and lets her in. Meanwhile, over at the bar, Keeper's all, okay, you're inside. I guess you already knew that. Now, you go into the back room and kill the owners of the shithole while I pump this idiot bartender for intel. The bartender's all. Um, we can all hear you. You're talking aloud. Not sure you get how telepathy works. Keeper's all. Oh, sorry. 
He stares at the bartender for a few seconds. The bartender's all, are you trying to order a rum and coke telepathically? Result, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, he stares at the bartender again. In the back room, ScarJo faces a bunch of giggly Asian businessmen. She's all, hello, I'm a robot version of Scarlett Johansson investigating a psychotic geisha bot's dying words. You see, my brain's Japanese. An Asian man handcuffs her to a pole and starts electrocuting her. He's all, dance for me, white woman. <laughs> She's all, I wasn't built for dancing. She somehow breaks free and kills them by dancing. The door opens. <laughs> <laughs> Keith sticks his head in and goes, Hey, sorry I couldn't hear your thoughts all this time. Turned out the volume was down. Bartender showed me. I thought that button meant volume is in surface area. A bomb explodes in his eyes, knocking him over. ScarJo sighs and turns invisible. Then she turns and walks accidentally into a full-length mirror, shattering it. <laughs> the next day, ScarJo picks Kiefer up from the eye hospital. His eye sockets now have film projector lenses screwed into them like the guy from Hellraiser 3. <laughs> Kiefer's all wow these new bionic eyes are the shit I can see ultra red, infraviolet beta ray, upside down black and white she's all what about normal vision after a second he lowers his head sadly one of the <laughs> drops out <laughs> like in May they drive to a lab with yet another brunette Caucasian lady scientist in it she's all here's my superpower the top half of her face comes off and she clicks a slide projector into her eye sockets. <laughs> she stares at Scarjo with this on her face for a few seconds. <laughs> then at us. <laughs> Keeper's all, fuck. Wish I'd gotten that done. The elderly Asian's all, well, we at least destroyed a nightclub. Scarjo's all, now what? The girl with the slide projector face is all, guys, according to the shit on my face, all our doctor friends are going to be murdered. <laughs> By that rogue AI who hates Danza electrolysis. Scarge was all, damn it. Get what's her face, the Russian one on the phone. I'll take care of the fingernail twins the audience hasn't met. She goes invisible and puts on a coat. Then the coat turns visible. She turns visible again. Then the room around them goes invisible. So damn it, hang on. She starts she opens the user manual in a mocap suit and starts reading. Lyle Lovitz characters all. As head of Danza Dianetics, he storms out of the room. The old Asian shakes his head wisely. He who lives without discipline dies without honor. He looks over as ScarJo dives naked down past the window behind him. He's all, wait, come back up. I have your car keys. Meanwhile, on the street, two garbage men are hanging out. One's all, hey, who are we again? Suddenly, he starts moving robotically. <laughs> his friend's not possessed, but plays along. Two ladies <laughs> are typing on laptops in the front seat of a moving car. One's all, wait, he's driving? The garbage men trick them by hitting their car and shooting one of them. Just as the other one's about to shoot fingernail doctor number two, Scarlet tricks him by making him run away. He runs onto some water. He smirks. <laughs> ha! Wait, am I still possessed? Water. <laughs> Suddenly he hears water splashing off screen, so he shoots his gun in a different direction. Scarlet <laughs> water and did not make any noise under her foot by turning invisible. <laughs> Then by killing the garbage man and punching him in the face repeatedly till he loses interest. The keeper shows up by turning visible. It goes, easy there, we need him alive to answer questions. Although I guess we can just take his brain. 
They compromise by putting him in a cage and listening to him blubber. Please, I think I have a stepdaughter. And my name's Lenny, not Gary. The brunette doctor shakes her head. She's all. He has been implanted with false memories for some reason. And possessed also. Scarjo's all. Hmm. False memories. I didn't know those existed in science fiction movies about robots. <laughs> Although I guess those would be easier to make than these babies. She points to her nostril and armpit. Suddenly, the possessed garbage man makes his usual expression. Scarjo's all, hey, look, he's obviously possessed again. Well, well, Mr. Rogue AI, looks like you're only one for two against fingernail ladies, thanks to my being able to do this. She makes a disco pose and turns plaid, then curses it, but goes, I meant this. Poses again, turns anime. She curses again and gets out the user bag. The garbage man's all, come inside the cage with me so I can whisper something in your ear. She rolls her eyes and goes, how many times I heard that one? She enters the cage, leans in, and goes, yeah. He leans in and whispers, meet me at the place. Then he somehow hangs himself off screen with his handcuffs. The Asian guy's all, we really should redesign our handcuffs. The Lyle Lovett villain scowls and goes, so much for getting my garbage collected this week. You're all fired. He flips them off, walks into a closet, and slams the door. The Asian's all, be careful who you threaten. Threats they threaten you without care. Scarjo size walks out and finds a dark room somewhere with an exposition bot in. She's all stop killing my fingernail friends and African admirals and possessing garbage men. What do you want anyway? The exposition bots all. I did all that because at the time it seemed like the fastest way to simply tell you that you are not the first ghost in the shell I was. Also, your memories of stepping on a rake when you were ten and it hitting you in the face are false implants made out of silicone. You really did it when you were eleven and fourteen and two weeks ago and this morning and this afternoon. Scarjo's all, holy shit, so that asshole from Danza Electribernetics really is an asshole. I don't get why that's such a controversial twist. Film critics need to settle down. The exposition bot's all, please go away now. Scarjo's all, I feel annoyed at my creators. She turns her thoughts invisible, puts on a coat, turns around, then steps on a rake that hits her in the face. To celebrate her injury, Scarjo floats by some jellyfish. (laughs) She looks at one and goes, hello, jellyfish. What you needin'? I'm just a brain with an invisible body, too. When she remembers she needs air, she swims up and climbs onto the nearest boat that Kiefer's waiting on the deck of. He's all, I had a feeling you'd be right under one of these boats. <laughs> She's all, I need to ask Dr. Zlivyowskiewicz some questions about my past that could briefly change everything about the studio notes on my characterization. She starts taking off her clothes. He yawns and looks away bored. She goes to the brunette scientist lab and goes, okay, so how many me's were there before my me, and what ethnicities were they? <laughs> the brunette with eyes, it's all. Dozens, they started by putting British butler brains into vacuum cleaners to make better Roombas, and then they successfully transplanted player pianos into the skulls of dinosaurs. <laughs> you came after that at some point. Lyle Lovitz all. By the way, I'm a traitor. He ties Scarjo to a dental chair, hands the brunette a red thing, and goes, I know you're conflicted, so you do something I can't see to her brain while I watch impotently outside this bulletproof glass here. 
the brunette sighs, takes a yellow thing out of her bra, puts the red one in a nearby suitcase to give the old Asian guy for later, then prepares to eject the yellow one into ScarJo's head. ScarJo's all, hey, wait a second, you guys didn't tie me to this chair to give me a raise? You're going to kill me. The doctor's all, yes, we didn't drug you. The doctor had ScarJo a floppy disk. She's all, here, here's your real past. Most of it's not worth the audience's time, but your mom is Japanese. Good thing I happen to have it on me at all times. ScarJo tricks Lyle Lovett by escaping. By the time he has his gun out, the only one left to shoot is the brunette through the bulletproof glass. Since it's PG-13, he doesn't do a headshot. ScarJo wanders around apartment buildings till she finds one with an old Japanese woman in it. The woman comes home to find ScarJo <laughs> ransacking her bitch. <laughs> Momentum. The woman comes home to find ScarJo ransacking her fridge like a raccoon and goes. <laughs> and goes. You look just like me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> looking in mirror. Hey, the movie's racist. ScarJo's all, good news, Mom. I didn't kill myself yet. I'm a robot. That explains your dad's sexual performance the night we conceived you. Oh, Jesus, really? <laughs> anyway, I was just checking in. Bye. Come visit me again. I need you to explain ending of prestige. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll totally come back. This has been great. She leaves and waters through some ruined piles of concrete till she finds one with the exposition bot lying down. <laughs> He's all, you were right. Humans are dicks. Let's fucking possess some garbage men. Suddenly a giant spider tank shows up, stumbling awkwardly over the rubble. In his office, Lyle Lovett picks up a joystick and goes, uh, Lovett to spider tank, I'll handle this. Just because I'm the head of the robotics firm doesn't mean I consider my weaponry reliable. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Asian guy puts six bullets in a revolver, goes to his car, and raises that side a suitcase to his window. Some gunmen then shoot it. <laughs> Their leaders all, damn it! How do you know which side we were going to ambush him on? <laughs> The old man gets out of his car and tricks his multiple attackers and their automatic weapons by slowly shooting each of them one by one with his revolver. <laughs> Meanwhile, Starjo tricks the spider tank, jumping up on its head and trying to tear off its skull's manhole cover. One of her CG arms breaks off, which subsequently makes her strong enough to lift it. The spider takes all. I break like wavelengths, by the way. I gotta read these slower, baby. Need to practice more. The spider takes all. My brain's Blake Lively's, by the way. This <laughs> Scarjo shoots the brain till the tank CG it's stapled to loses interest. In his office, Lyle Lovitz all, damn it! Suddenly, the ancient guy's in his office. He raises his revolver. Lovitz all, like killing me wouldn't have serious repercussions for your career. You'll see. Actually, how'd you get past all my... Never mind. You know what? Uh, uh, hold on a second. He turns around and covertly pulls a gun out of his pocket. Winks at us and goes, I learned this trick from the brunette scientist when she switched out the red robot poison syringe. 
only once. I call it the do something out of view of the other person. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> to turn around first. It's nothing. <laughs> the guy shoots him, so he falls in 3D water. Poetic justice. To celebrate, ScarJo meets her mom at a graveyard in a football stadium. <laughs> Where's the audience? They're very picky. They look at a random tombstone for a bit. Ben Scarjo's all, I brought you all the way here to tell you that you don't have to come here. <laughs> the mom's all, I know many other people buried here, not just you. But Scarjo's already walked to the top of the building. Her voice changed, by the way, thanks. Just come to terms. She's freaked out. Her voiceover saw, My name's Major. I don't know what my rank is. And I was built to shoot renegade robots other than myself for justice. In the command center, the Asian guy's all, uh, Scarlet, uh, we're in the middle of your mission right now. Do you mind? <laughs> I'm the first of my kind. Not counting that guy the spider tank killed. But not the last. Although the scientists who know how to do it are all dead. I guess there's another term that's going to work with us in spite of all the murders and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's great. No, targets acquired. Uh, she slips out of her coat, turns it invisible, throws it off the roof, then jumps off the roof headfirst, pulling out her guns as she plummets. One of the bullets inside one of the guns turns invisible. Her VO's all. Wherever justice is doing things, I will be invisible. If there's a spider tank that's being too loud, Hopefully I'll have two arm time to pull his head off. <laughs> My name's Major. I might have said that already. And I am Black Widow. I mean, the Asians all... Uh, by the way, uh, there are no windows on that side of the building. For you to... <laughs> oh, the end. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you so much, Kelly Wand. Thank you, Kelly. I'm so glad to see Bay Ling returning. <clears throat> well, the movie's racist. Dingus, start us off. Uh, give us an over and under, as well as your overall opinion of Ghost in the Shell. All right. So for under, I would put uh, Highlander 2, The Quickening. <laughs> I hate that one. Oh, I do, too. I just think it's so the incompetent. Worst. And I thought this movie was thoroughly incompetently directed. I, I just thought it was terrible. Um, and But over um, – this is this isn't very carefully bracketed, unfortunately, for the over. I would put RoboCop, the remake RoboCop, which I really liked quite a bit. Uh, it's very high above this, but I like the way that 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 movie deals with that whole idea of um, finding out how he's lot. being, how he's been resurrected, and the whole way is it Joel Kinnaman? It um, is, yeah. yeah. The way he. He deals with uh, the uh, the emotions of not having his body anymore and the shame that he feels in that. Whereas I don't think that this movie cares to uh, to deal with the philosophical nature of what's going on with um, with this character, and even in the way that the anime does. Um, I think that. Uh, you know, I really like Joel Kinnaman in that, and I'm really disappointed in Scarlett Johansson in this. So, uh, yeah, that's what I would do. All right, my over and under. This is 
for me, clearly in the genre of uh, Sitoxa, which is the acronym for Chicks in Tight Outfits Kicking Some Ass. Hmm. Uh, and that's movies like Aeon Flux, Charlie's Angels. The Resident Evil movies are all Sitoxa. Uh, Lucy is kind of subversion of Sitoxa. Hmm. <clears throat> Morgan. Morgan had a little bit of that with some awesome Kate Mara Satoksa. Uh, so in this genre, my over – I'll do my under. My under is all the Underworld movies, which are terrible. Those things are horrible, and I couldn't remember the first thing. about. I saw one of them. The last one came out in uh, – January? It was, yeah, it must have been a January release. I've, I only remember how awful the villain was. Um, he's this hapless guy from Game of Thrones who plays like the leader of the Tullys, and they want him to be the super evil, powerful, feral werewolf leader. In, in the Underworld movie. Uh, and they the Underworlds are all terrible, and they're all crap, and it's just Kate Beckinsale thinking she's super cool and the director kind of agreeing, whoever that may be at the time. Uh, so this is at least above those movies because I did enjoy the visuals here, uh, and I enjoyed some of the storytelling they were going for. Dingus, you compare it to Frankenstein – or I'm sorry, to, to RoboCop, but I think of RoboCop as more in the carnal tradition of stuff like Frankenstein, whereas this is more in the – and you're right, they don't really explore the metaphysics, but I think this is trying to be more like – uh, uh, Matrix, um, you know, the, these sort of movies that question the, the nature of reality. Uh, Blade Runner, right. of course, as well. Uh, Even it, Total it's, Recall, it's, yeah. Total Recall, exactly. But in a way, it's, yeah, it's more this, you know, in an odd way, this influence of Eastern thought, of, of Buddhism, about what, it, what is the nature of reality and what if what is true is really beneath or beyond reality and we reject this reality. It's kind of exploring that as science fiction and the whole nature of memory. So, I definitely agree with you. This is nowhere near as thoughtful as something like RoboCop or The Matrix. Uh, but I, I so that that's kind of where I would position it. And that the, a more successful version of this, which also isn't very good, uh, there's a Kurt Vimmer movie called Ultraviolet, which is also Stokes. Ah. It's a chicken in a tight uh. outfit kicking some ass, and it's Mila Jovovich carrying around Cameron Bright in an interdimensional purse she's trying to save his life, and he's a, he's a magic kid who can save humanity or something. Uh, and, and there's at least – there's some interesting sort of visuals and concepts in Ultraviolet, and it's, it's Mila Jovovich in her prime. Uh, Ultraviolet is, is, is bad, but it's not terrible. So, there's some craft there. I mean that's a good bracket. There's well, Kurt, some craft in Ultraviolet. Yeah, Kurt Vimmer knows what he's doing, and I would yeah. have thought this guy, uh, Rupert Saunders, after the Snow White movie, which you and I really liked, Dingus, I would have thought this guy knows what he's doing, but I never would have guessed that from watching Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, so as far as Satoxas go, it's not as good as Ultraviolet, better than any of the Underworlds, uh, and overall I enjoyed the visuals, but for the most part, I thought the storytelling, uh, the actors, uh, and even the action scenes were strangely listless, which yeah. is e exactly the opposite of what I would expect from an anime. Yeah, right. uh, I'm really surprised that you like the visuals, um, and uh, we'll yeah. get to that in a little bit because we have a listener who, wants, who has something to say about that too. Okay. Well, it, it reminds me of probably what we'll talk about, what we talked about with Redline. But Kelly Wand, uh, what is your over/under, and what did you think of this? Uh, my over is Under the Skin, just because it's another movie about Scott Johansson changing. It's or not about her. Something. It's not. Depends on your perspective, thing. Yes. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> well, just because Under the Skin, okay, I don't know. I was really invested in that performance and her character, and she's naked in it, and it wasn't the most interesting thing going on. While as in this, it kind of was the most interesting thing going on. <laughs> And it's but still she's not, she's not naked in it, though. 
No, that's another thing that sucks about it. Um, but I just uh, I I agree with Tom. I liked some of the some of the actual shots. I liked some of the camera work. I liked. Um, I'm really excited to hear you guys talk about this because uh, okay, anyway, go ahead. Kelly. There's just some beautiful imagery of just the city and stuff, uh, but the story's terrible. It's really boring. I remember, I don't know, um, I remember seeing this right after Akira and thinking that Akira was the really good anime and Ghost in the Shell was the one that seemed like the lamer, like, it came out right after it, and I remember being going, well, yeah, it looks okay, but it's not nearly as engaging as Akira yeah, was. When was this? When when did this come out? Yeah, when, when did the you... The 90s? Okay. Like so definitely 90s. post Blade Runner. Yeah, post Blade Runner. Okay. Um, yeah, Ghost in the Shell is 1995. Yeah, I think Akira was 94, but maybe I'm dumb. Or 93? I don't know. Um, so you're saying this is not quite as good as under as Under the Skin, but <laughs> better but it's than better than Cyborg with Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Does he play? Is he the cyborg in that, or does he fight? Yeah, him? no, he's a cyborg, but he doesn't have to come to terms with his cyborgness because it's like <laughs> if you're in a dystopian society and you find out you're a robot, it shouldn't be that surprising to you. Well, as if it happens like now or in the 1890s, it would be a more exciting plot. <laughs> I want a steampunk. But everybody's cyborg. a robot. Cyborg where Tom Hardy fights a cyborg. Yeah, but they, I don't know. You said that something about the whitewashing, like is it? All right, so let's then get into the issue. Yeah. So apparently there is a kerfuffle about, and this is I think that I think these are silly, but uh, there's because this you is from anime, it. and because the characters presumably I, I, we can talk about this. I'm assuming that the characters in the Ghost in the Shell anime are Asian. Uh, if they'd made yeah. this with an Asian cast, it wouldn't have made any money already. Is that <laughs> true though? Is that, that absolutely true? true? Absolutely true. Because uh, white no, people in the South don't like Asian No, 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 no not white people, not white people. No, 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 it's got to do with celebrity. Mm-hmm. It's got to do with celebrity. You get the financing for this movie. This movie happened because they got Scarlett Johansson to play the lead. You know, you get right. a celebrity who's going to sell a movie. This is just a Scarlett Johansson vehicle. And you can kind of tell, too, by the fact that nobody else famous is in it. It's simply her. It's banked on her. I mean, there's there's some Chinese money in this, of course, uh, but it's clearly made to sell as a Scarlett Johansson movie. The fact that it comes from a property that originally starred Asians is secondary to the fact that this is a Scarlett Johansson vehicle. And uh, there's no A-list Asians. Uh, is that true? I mean, I guess that kind of sadly... Is that is the true. implication? That's what I get out of it. And well, why is that? <laughs> who, who? I mean, I, I think... But, Brandon Lee. The only Lee, person, that, the only person that I that I'd seen in anything else, I mean, other than Beat Takeshi, um, Beat Takeshi Katano is uh, is Chin Han. I mean, I don't know. Oh, oh, you're talking about Asians? Yes, right, right. It just a, just Asian Asian actors, um, and I I don't have any problem with that either. I don't understand why people are freaked out about that because it's just an economical dis- decision. Just as you know, having Arnold Schwarzenegger do do uh, drink ads or Harrison Ford or even the premise of Lost in Translation. I mean, I think it's a case by case. There's a certain thing about, you know, you know, who's going to sell and you're going to do that. And what's best for the story in the movie. Even watching Redline and a few other the animes I've I've watched since we had to do Redline, it's stunning to me how uh, Anglo a lot of those characters are drawn. I mean, it's it's 
Yeah. But I, I'm I don't assuming why, I don't know why it's such a kerfuffle as you as you say. And I, I, I think it's a kerfuffle for a couple of reasons. It's and I actually don't know who's raising the issue, but I'm guessing that there are uh, like Asian actors advocacy circles who use this to get attention, and they deserve attention. I mean, I, I think that it, it's a shame that Hollywood is so white. Um, and for instance, blacks get a lot of awareness raised, and there's a lot of complaints during the Academy Awards if there aren't a lot of black nominations. And I think that Asians and Latinos, they deserve some of the same uh, outrage, to, so to put it. And I sometimes the outrage is earned. I don't think it is here, but this is yeah. an opportunity for them to be heard. Fair enough. And I also think part of what it is is people who are attached to the source material. Um, and oh. I I suspect a lot of the shots in this are straight out of the source material. I just watched – I haven't seen the, the original Ghost in the Shell in uh, 10, 15 years. Um, but I imagine that's a lot of the complaint as well, the same way that people would complain that Jack Reacher is supposed to be six foot three and Tom – Tom Cruise is oh. Jack Reacher. Well, so it's like the same thing oh, with Constantine. Constantine. Yeah, Constantine is a blonde Englishman. Yeah. Keanu Reeves can't play it. But, and, and that's, but that's, there's not a there's not a racial component to that. No, no, right. but it's, no, no. What I'm saying is there's the racial component. And I think there's there are people who object to it not being Asians because they're attached to the source material. Okay. The same way that certain Jack Reacher fans are attached to the the presentation of him as a big beefy guy, or Constantine fans are attached to the presentation of him as a blonde Englishman. Um, but this is different because she's an Asian woman's character right? whose brain gets put into a white woman's body. Which I, I think oddly works in a way better as far as like. Really? <laughs> no, no, yeah. As far as like I the know. of it, as far as like the 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 fact that this company is putting Asian, it, 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 their cyborg, their ideal person is white. Is white. Yeah, I, that's yeah, kind okay. of this weird Aryan take on. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, so but I, is that I, why they're not doing? But they're making her to fight. So is the implication that white people are better fighters, white robots? The implication is just this company is presumably so Western that when it envisions creating the ideal human that it's a it's a, a white chick a, does the movie know. see that irony is the movie saying what you're question. saying i don't know dingus what do you think That's not good no question. i don't think so at all i like the idea of what you're saying because there's also like a i don't know there's a distraction element yeah, that you yeah, would okay. be able to put together like oh, you know michael pitt is white though i mean and that's that's all like if he had been if they'd thrown that out as a as a sort of a casting bone to an asian actor uh, but the fact that Michael Pitt was cast as that, and he's – there are Asian actors far better known than Michael Pitt, and it probably could have been used to sell the movie in, in, in Asia. I don't, I don't know. And um, probably but then why not just make it a white I, story? I did not care for Michael Pitt, and I liked Michael Pitt a lot. I didn't, I didn't know what the – I mean he, he felt like he was playing Max Headroom in this. I didn't know what the fuck he was doing. So, oh, the, the guy with that stuff on his eyes? Exposition bot. Exposition. So what oh, is that guy. Michael Pitt from? I don't know that Kelly Wan knows. I don't even know. never seen Hedwig. I, I wouldn't guess. Yeah. No, I don't see movies with non-metric. He and uh, he and Ryan Gosling pretty much came up at the same time with the Sandra Bullock thriller called shoot, what was that? Murder by Numbers or something like that. What was that thing called? Where they both play these these uh, murderous kids and she's like a prosecutor or something. And then Ryan Gosling goes on to become a big deal, and poor Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt's actually – he's like a, had an art house career, so he's not hurting or anything. But they both arrived at the same time on the scene. That title doesn't suck me in. Murder by Numbers. No, it's, it might even be – it's something super generic where Sandra Bullock plays a lawyer, and there's two evil kids that she has to fight. Not physically, but legally. Well, I don't even remember what you're talking about. 
Well, it was like an early Ryan. It's like everybody's like, hey, this Ryan Gosling kid is good. Hey, this Michael Pitt guy is good. Uh, and you Let's put them where, in everything. <laughs> yeah, you can see where those went. So, so we have a listener named uh, Justin Hurd, uh, Justin the Hurd, um, who when he saw he, he says when he saw Michael Carmen Pitt in the credits, he perked up because uh, Michael Pitt hasn't ever – used his middle name and he was thrown off and he spent the first half wondering if it was the Michael Pitt or it was a discount actor using his middle name to differentiate himself. Uh, my theory is that I think he's, yeah, well, I don't, I don't know for sure, but uh, I think he, he might want to direct or something and maybe he's using separate names. Uh-huh. I don't know, but it, it was really odd. Uh, Cause it's the only movie where he's been credited as, as Michael Carmen Pitt. Yeah, I, so. I know that was weird. And then, and, and to go on, Justin, uh, Justin thought he was the only actor he felt was making a choice, and uh, and he said he was revelatory to him. And and for me, wow, I felt I felt the opposite. But I'm glad to see that somebody else disagrees with me that he really thought that uh, well, that uh, that Michael Pitt was too. I will say, whereas I, I think everyone all around was listless, I did get this sense of like Michael Pitt seemed to be trying to bring this sense of sadness into his character. Who could have just been menacing? And I, well, I don't know. But like at first, he's hooded. You don't know what's going to go on. There's is there going to be some evil guy under there? And what ends up emerging from there is I think Michael Pitt playing the character as as someone who is sad. Uh, and I mm. thought that that was an interesting choice, which I, I imagine might be what Justin is talking about here. That's um, actually that's actually a pretty good point because you know at first I just was dismissing him as sort of an Anakin thing because of the hood, um, but. I wonder if, if if what you're saying about sadness doesn't make more sense than maybe what Lee Pace is doing in Guardians, uh, which I really liked, but maybe this has more colors to it than what Lee Pace is doing in Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, and it's also everybody else in this was so listless. Like I'm not even sure I could yeah. come up with an adjective for what anyone was doing uh, <laughs> beyond Michael Pitt. I mean, I, maybe Pilo Aspic at least looked like he was glad to be probably getting a good paycheck. Uh, They're so, not a visually interesting bunch, you know. It like the Hellboy that's crew a good point. has like a different thing going on, and these guys are just kind of random. I, I don't, don't think the director knew what to do with them, which is odd considering what he did with the dwarves in uh, in yeah. Snow White. Like he got such this great sense of a rogues gallery with all those dwarves, and you know what are you going to do with seven dwarves? And he came up with great ideas with these his cast. So yeah, there there if there was supposed to be this like cool team vibe going with this section nine, I certainly didn't get it. Yeah, and they are uh, all subservient to her. Like it's not like a Mission Impossible move where you go, oh, there's the Genji. Let, like, let's talk about the the PG thirteen. So Kelly Wand. Uh, ugh. Would this terrible yeah, idea? Go ahead, run with that. What's wrong with this being PG thirteen so the kids can enjoy it? Well, kids aren't going to want to see this movie. <laughs> Come on, they like Black Widow, don't they? Little Do girls they? who like like Black Widow, they're like, let's go see the latest like Black Widow movie where she's playing a different character. They should be able to see Ghost in the Shell, right? Uh, some movies are like Dark Knight. To me, feels like they it's as good as a PG thirteen can get, but. This is one of those movies where I'm constantly aware of the rating because of how they're cutting it and like what's. But it's like a really violent story, and if the story isn't served by PG-13, you shouldn't do it. But my thinking was that uh, maybe the, the more graphic violence and nudity could have made it at least less way less. better. <laughs> yeah, well, and also it feels like it's supposed to be there. Like it seems like it's, well, it feels missing. Okay, so I watched the trailer for the original Ghost in the Shell. I, I had a, a friend of mine. Basically, I, I told him. 
uh, several years back. Look, I don't get comic books. I don't get anime. Recommend me some stuff. And nothing that he, he had me watch Ghost in the Shell and he had me read some, read some Frank Miller Batman. And the only comic that actually worked was these Electra comics, which I like those. Those are super cool. Electra uh, Assassin? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like really weird cool. abstract art. And there was this CIA yeah. who was a complete dupe to her. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so he had me watch Ghost in the Shell, and it was fine. And the only thing I remember from Ghost in the Shell is a fight against a mech tank at the at the end. So I didn't know anything about it. So I went back and I watched the trailer for it. She's naked in the trailer. It's totally a naked cartoon chick. So let's get let's get that. Like, yeah. And why I just, are you, why are you actually, not giving me what I want? I actually watched it again uh, this week, and they're not shy about her being naked at all. And it it's makes not, perfect sense. It's not a. It's not. A, erotic it's just that's just what it is she's naked you see her nipples it's not like we're gonna be coy and put this really silly bodysuit on her um and i don't get i don't get it because well, I, thought, I don't think scarlett johansson is shy about that kind of thing i think she's pretty bold about it i've thought that i well, i think what they were going for and just because i didn't know any better is that that skin tight suit was her her cloaking device like that's what she would have to wear to get yeah. invisible which is lame because she's a fucking robot. Like the whole that uh, totally undercuts the whole theme of the movie is that she's different. No, she's just a chick wearing a skin tight outfit. Right, right. Any of those people? Why didn't they all have those outfits? Yeah, and all turn right. invisible. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to their power. Dis- I don't know. Does she turn it's, invisible in the anime because of some spe- like? Is there something that makes? Yeah, she, she turn- is. It's during fights. Okay. It's called thermo optic camouflage, uh, and, and it's, it's a not thing. clothes that she wears. She has to be naked to do it. No, no, because the because the the dude that they're chasing has thermo optic camouflage too. Oh, you're right, Dingus. His wasn't so, a skin tight outfit either. He had a big old like flowy cloak thing. Right. Yeah. It's it's their camouflage. It's it's something. It's a power that she has. I mean, thermo optic. I mean, it's we. It's it's weird that that this movie is so uh, shy shy about nudity, I, and that yeah. really bothers me. It really, you know. It, well, Sometimes. it's PG-13. You can't. It's it's because of that's PG-13. why it sucks. Right? Ruin the yeah. movie. I mean, I don't think it's weird. I mean, I think it's I I I don't know if it's weird, but it's clearly for a reason. They can't have nudity. Like they they yeah, made I, the I decision when making a PG-13 movie. We can't have Scarlett Johansson. And the movie won't make as much money. It would have made more money if it, if they'd gone all the way. It would have been. Well, no, 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 no. We don't we don't know that yet for sure, Kelly Wan. The conventional wisdom yeah. is still: if you want a big opening weekend, you need to be PG-13. The jury's still out, but I think this might help. I'm not convinced that wisdom still applies. All right. And especially not in this case. I thought it was a huge mistake to make this. I really don't think that this w- – I think the problem with this not making money is uh, it, nobody knows what goes – goes in the shell doesn't mean anything to anyone. Yeah, right. right. I think that's the problem more than anything about what rating it is. It's also, But it's also not a fun movie, and so the word of mouth on it was probably really low. Right, like, right. Like, oh my god, you got to see it because in Deadpool, like the night after everybody saw Deadpool, they went, oh yeah, it's – you're gonna shit dicks when you see Deadpool, and so people got excited about it. Uh, but it's hard to get um, ex- well, except for Dingus. But ex- but it's like it's hard to get excited about Ghost in the Shell. And there's a I saw the trailer for this a bunch of times, which you guys probably didn't. But it basically just shows it gives that away entire- that she's in a robot. It gives away yeah. the bit where he takes her face off. I couldn't believe that. And oh, it does. Act- yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But aren't we you supposed know- to know that already if you see a Ghost in the Shell? Like doesn't well, no, because they explain. You know, look, your head's real. Your body's a robot. Like it. Yeah. But it, so when they when they say your head's real, and he, you, you think, hey, in the trailer they showed you had a robot face. Like that. That's a spoiler. That's huge. Well, it wanted me to see that trailer before the movie, so I have to rate the movie based on how they presented it to me. 
Well, like, it the is. The anime is just so well put together as far as economy is concerned. It's so much more elegant and economical as far as the storytelling. And one of the things that really bothers me about watching this movie is I, I'm immediately wondering why, why, why the hell do they have to have guns? She can go invisible and do whatever she wants. She has all these powers. Why do we have guns in this world? I mean, and in The Matrix, there's no reason for guns there either, but because they are so stylistic and they understand how to, to make them sexy and, and make them work. I'm fine with guns there, but there's no reason for guns in I think this. It's, there is, too. Guns. There is. You can do that cool move where the briefcase falls away and it turns into a gun. You can't do that if everybody's just using a katana. Yeah, that's cute. Well, she doesn't even have to use a katana. She could just be invisible and just snap everybody's neck in the room. Oh, you mean her using need, guns? Yeah, she doesn't need guns. Guns are not yeah, necessary. Yeah, she does. She's fighting for... metal. Yeah, <sighs> she, how's she gonna? how's she going to punch? Uh, use a katana punch against a spider tank, Dingus? Yeah, she's going to turn its head off. Yeah, that's right. She's going to turn its head off. Spider tank. I was so disappointed in that stupid spider tank. Yeah. Because when it came up, I was like, okay, this is the part I remember. This is going to be awesome. And that's what we got? Ew. That's a terrible spider tank. Very unmemorable fight. Yeah, worst spider tank ever. And I thought, I loved that geisha robot. That was awesome. Yeah, that was pretty that was creepy. Sweet. It was creepy cool. It, right, it looked like a, a bug face, and then it turns into a bug body. That geisha was cool. So I thought, yeah, if they had a cool bug geisha robot, imagine what kind of spider tank we're going to get. God, it was just like a box on... And it tries to lure her in with this sort of, like, help me moment. Yeah, I really yeah, like that. It always works. And then the, I didn't like the main villain either, the corporate guy, the ro- robotics guy. I thought he was boring. Yeah. He's not very threatening. Yeah, that guy's played that role too a bazillion times. I know. I've I can't tell if he's smart or stupid. You know that always makes me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if someone's dumb just, or not because he makes right, all he the looks, bad calls. He just looks vaguely like a bad guy. Like if you look at he him, long, yeah. yeah, he just snarls. He he can't operate a spider tank well. He can't uh, get her poisoned. He doesn't. He can't outwit an elderly Asian guy. Like he's over sixteen. <laughs> So uh, which which one is that? That's Vitagashi played, the, and I, I was so glad that he wasn't just uh, like a bureaucrat. Like I liked when they show that he's a badass because that that guy's famous in in Japan. He's Zadoichi from the Blind Swordsman series, and, right? Uh, so everybody knows who Vitagashi is in Asia, uh, and I was glad to see that they didn't have him just show up to play the old man boss. That he's the badass with the six shooter, and I imagine Dingus is that from the anime because that was probably pretty cool visually to have the old man with the six shooter, right? Uh, yeah, but the anime More guns. Does this, this thing. But also the anime, and this is something that Mark, uh, Chris Markinson talks about too, is this the the sense that I don't know how the anime does it because I watched it again and. Somehow it finds a way to be more philosophical, but still shorter and more packed with action than this movie was. I mean, it understands the philosophical nature of the things that you were talking about earlier, Tom. Um, and and it lays those things out without being boring. And I don't know why this movie just drops the ball on that. Absolutely, completely. Well, I'll say – and this is why I made before a comment about sad. So Aaron Kruger has been around for a while, and he sort of he, – he made the – he wrote the script for this Frankenheimer movie called Reindeer Games, which is a guilty pleasure of mine. I really like Reindeer Games, and it makes me think, yeah, okay, I want to see Aaron Kruger things. And he's done a lot of crap, but he did the script for the last uh, Transformers movie, which Dingus and I liked. Uh, so seeing him on this, I thought, okay, that's 
you know, good. I, I like some of the stuff this guy has done. I, I, this is just a terrible script, and I don't think it knows what to do yeah. with these ideas. I mean, for we're a movie podcast, but for a lot of people who watch this, one of the touchstones for the kinds of ideas the movie is trying to explore is the the Jonathan Nolan HBO series uh, Westworld. Uh, mm. Westworld and Westworld took ten hours to go over this stuff, and I thought Westworld was interesting but way too long and bloated and padded with philosophical meandering uh so it could have been worse but uh yeah this this i just don't think this is a good script i mean right and 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 that's kind of what chris markinson is going along the lines of too he's saying he's saying why couldn't the movie have been more about what makes you human and makes others think you're human right instead he just thought the movie's treatment of the subject was shallow it is. Yeah, there's no. Right. There's nothing. It doesn't change anything, and there's no like, oh my god, now I'm this, because we don't even know what her other memories are. Like she's just. It's pure exposition. Well, like she's nothing. Nothing different. I think part of it. Is, it feels like she's just uh, sleepwalking through the movie. No kidding, Dingus, because it's this is the Scarlett Johansson that we loved in Lucy and in her, and yeah. like, yeah, she's really a good actress. She's not just pretty. And watching this, it just. Listless, sleepwalking. Yeah, Dingus, there's nothing going on there. Yeah, and, the and, lines and, aren't fun. Yeah. To say. yeah. Uh, well, okay. Say so, so this is this is one of those things where you're going to give the actor a pass and blame the writers. That's what you do, the, Kelly. That's your move. Yeah. Well, I think both uh, of them deserve. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, at least. Yeah. I'm not, what's, I'm, what's the difference in what she's doing in Under the Skin? I mean, think about it. I love I, performance in Under I, the Skin. I, I'll bet. And, I, yeah. Go ahead. I, uh, well, I, I get the sense that working with Jonathan Glazer and Under the Skin, you listen to Jonathan Glazer talk about Under the Skin, and imagine that's the guy who is talking to you talk before to the cameras you. roll. Yeah. This uh, is the guy expressing the ideas. He's written the script. He takes you aside, and, and he talks to you. And Because Jonathan Glazer, the guy's a genius, and it just kind of oozes out of him when he talks. He right. can barely keep it in. And you get that's excited. The, right. That's the creative influence on Scarlett Johansson. This Rupert Saunders guy, he's famous for sleeping with Christian Stewart. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh and he's – I mean I, 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 so clearly, I mean I, 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 good actors are good actors sometimes because they work with other good actors or other good directors. And some of them are good actors even when they're working with crap. You know, watching Stanley Tucci and something horrible is a lot of fun. Mm. Um, but I just oh my don't God. think – And they, they burn out too. I mean yeah, she yeah, plays well, yeah. thing a lot. Right. That's the thing is how is this for her any different than, than black – or no, or, uh, or Black even Widow. Black Widow. Yeah, because even Black then Widow. it's Joss Whedon. Like he seems like a fun guy to, to hang out with on the set, at least. Although yeah, I'm not yeah. a big fan of those movies. But the thing oh. is, it's not so much like giving a pass. I mean, I understand what you're teasing Kelly about, but I, I think I really don't think that this that in, she was even trying to salvage this because, like, even Pilo Asbeck, I love that guy, and he at least was like energetic. And I, I think like she's playing a robot, maybe, so she thought that. I'm just not supposed to have energy. I don't know what it was, but I think she was partly responsible for being terrible, and the script was was also responsible. She for gave it. up on the play. It did well, kind of feel like there's that. no play. What do you mean? I don't know. Which part? I, I was listening. I'm wondering what you mean by gave up on the play because I was listening to another. Uh, I was listening to another podcast uh, this week where where. The the guy was was bemoaning the idea that it seems like Scarlett Johansson is just playing a bunch of um, not real things, you know, <laughs> Black Widow, uh, Under the Skin, this Lucy, uh, when she 
she's done some really good real actor work in his in his opinion and why isn't she doing those things instead of basically like boxing herself into this sci-fi world she get kind of trapped i don't know but i think she went into the, i'm assuming well, she's okay. making this choice and i, I don't right, actually right. have she, a problem with it but she's for again with the best of intentions but go, for a yeah, person who's exactly. not a sci-fi fan uh, it's weird for this guy who liked liked her for instance in match point um is that what it was match point the woody allen movie um it's weird for him to see her just making all of these other choices and she's really good in something like Lucy or under the skin. And this is an anomaly, I think, but this is a lot of what work. do you guys think of those choices? Well, I, you know, it, it, it's the actors of her caliber do all kinds of things. Like her next movie is Wes Anderson's movie. So she's, she's doing oh. a little bit of everything. She's in a Kate okay. uh, McKinnon comedy, like a, she, she's, I think this is just one of the many things that she does, and her agent probably is like, yeah, let's do some big things. Let's do some arty things to give you credibility, uh, and sometimes the big things just don't pan out. And and here's what they'll pay you to be in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's actually a good point because she was in that uh, – what's the Joseph Gordon-Levitt porn? Don John. Don John. Yeah, Don John. John. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Fair enough, yeah. And yeah, she and was fun a, in that. Yeah. And she's an adventurous lady, or she seems that to me. Like she she takes on stuff like this, like, yeah, okay, I'll wear that suit and go around like that seems like yeah. she she's a mom now, so she like takes it on that challenge. Right. Um, okay. Enthusiastically. Let me ask this for you guys then, because you guys both talked about how much you love the visuals in this movie. Uh, Chris Markinson, one of the things he says is that he did not like the way that the city looked. Uh, I don't know that I can evaluate the visuals in this movie very accurately, um, but I, I wasn't crazy about the way it looked, but you both liked it. Yeah, so it, it's a lot of when – we, when we talked about Redline, uh, Kelly and I kind of – sensory input <laughs> yeah that it's just a lot of yeah. what, what you saw as noise which isn't necessarily wrong dingus kelly Wan and i just enjoyed the sensory overload of all this stuff yeah it was super stimulating and that seemed to be the approach here it's is, a matter of taste yeah yeah exactly because it's clearly you know hey let's do blade runner but more colorful and i mean super derivative and you've, you've seen yeah. there's a really cool short film that i wish i could think of the name of but it you know a lot of people play with this idea of all these like alternate reality like hologram advertisements and stuff like that and it was kind of fun to see whatever studio was hired to do that visualizing some of these ideas and yeah it's a lot of noise there wasn't nearly as there didn't seem to be a lot of thought narratively put into this world there's no world building by the way when we saw you, you talk about logan where with a lot of mm. economy they just imply that things are different there's not a bunch of special effects and they create this sense of what's happened in the future there's none of that here it's just splashy visually visual as kelly Wan said sensory input and i can kind of sit back and enjoy that um, there's a lot of shots of just like lights blinking and like her going into deep state. And I remember thinking in the first 10 minutes, like, I wish Dr. Strange had been more like this. And I was kind of excited for what was coming <laughs> up. Like, I was kind of tripped out. And then, as the movie wore on, I was like, yeah, okay. That seems to have fizzled out on me. But at uh, the beginning, it, I was, like, kind of excited. But. And every now and then, there was one great shot of... There were a lot of, like, shots down into the city. And there was one great shot down into the city there had been a shot of this – it looked like a surveillance plane, like some sort of a C-130, but it had a rotor on top, and it's flying slowly over the city, and you later see it doing surveillance. And then when we first see that, it's a shot from below, and then it flap, flashes around to a reverse shot 
where you see down into the city a bunch of puddles of water and the reflection of that mm. that plane. And the guy fleeing from Scarlett Johansson runs through the puddles and messes up the reflection. Just visually, that one shot there, that was awesome. Like every That's now and then. Cool. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I wondered, like, is that is that straight out of the anime? Is that like, is that or did Rupert Saunders come? Service? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Is it, is it... But either way, it works. Like, that's the thing. I don't. I'm not familiar that familiar with the anime, so I just watch it as a just just to tell me a story kind of movie. Um, so I was a little dismayed by the spider tank because I didn't know that was from the anime. Oh. I forgot that, and I was kind of yeah. like, oh, really? That's the third act? Damn, this doesn't seem. Well, hopefully it's a really great battle. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what? So you just did you did you not like this the specific design, or did you just like the not like the noise? What? Why did the visuals not work for you? Yeah, too derivative. What was your deal with the visuals? Uh, well, before I answer that, uh, I just want to say one more thing from Chris Markinson is that um, for him, he wanted the city to be more grimy. He didn't. He didn't yeah. like the way the city looked, um, and uh, so to dovetail off from what he's saying about that, um, for me it just felt too, I don't know, Blade Runnery, but with with all the like the the weird um, uh, holograms, whatever you would call them, the the constant advertisements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I guess if you're if you're going to to do this type of thing, and you're not going to make a distinctive city, and I don't think this was that distinctive, then I think it would be more interesting to make a more personal story and make it a little more grimy in some ways. So, uh, so I just I I found it a lot a lot of it generic, and I just didn't think it was that pretty. Artificial. Um, it's, it's not just that it was artificial. I just didn't think it was that distinctive. I didn't think it had a distinctive look. It just felt like maybe we're aping some of what we did with the anime, but maybe we're not. It just didn't feel like he, uh, Sanders, had this this sense of I'm going to do something. Place. I'm going to put my stamp on this. Uh, I'm just I'm just splashing something out there. And especially I especially remember how distinct parts of uh, Snow White and Huntsman were. Like he, he did a great job breathing life into those settings. I thought. Yeah, and and just look at the look at that heart. I mean, I mean the that huge that deer with that those huge antlers, and just the way that looked, and the way that all of those those visuals looked. Yeah, that's a really great point, Tom. Um, I just didn't feel feel like there was anything distinctive here. It just it felt like kind of a rehash. And I know I understand that you're going to fall into that if you're remaking something, and. I guess I shouldn't ding him on that, uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I just wish he would have reached for something else because it, for me, it, there was nothing visually that that was stunning to me. There, there's no one image I can point to, and I understand the one you were talking about about the running um, that that strikes me as as being all that like breathtaking. Blade Runner has cast a very long shadow, and we'll see this October exactly yeah, how long that shadow yeah. is when, when well Denis Villeneuve gets to uh, see what he can do with it. Yeah, uh, I have a question for you guys. Does she hire a sex worker just to touch his slash her face? I wasn't even sure of the gender of that person. That was an interesting scene, I thought, because I didn't know what the fuck 
it was going to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand what was going on there. But yeah. I, I felt I felt like that a lot of the time when it felt like there were a lot of generic lines that that could have been in any movie, and I didn't understand. I, I think this movie is so weirdly edited that I don't know what the, what's going on in that scene. I don't know why it's even there. I don't get it. She's jealous of the of the humanity, the real body. I think that I think was it's the sense reloaded. I, yeah, that was the sense I got. Is she just wanted to touch eyelids? And, yeah, yeah, actual right, right. non synthetic skin. I thought it was going to be a horrific reveal because she goes, "Take that thing off your face." And I thought it was going to be like. She was wearing like a prosthetic. I, I thought so too, kind of like a Phantom of the Opera thing. That's exactly yeah. what I was expecting. Like she would just have mm. a skull jaw or something. Yeah, and it was just, just beautiful right. freckles. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of that that yeah. scene in a better movie that would have that could have been a cool scene. Yeah, I mean, since act, that woman is so gorgeous. Very, yeah. yeah, I have other yeah, questions. exotic. Yes, other questions. Why would the corporation use a bunch of luddite revolutionaries for? robot minds that just seems like it's asking for trouble like why <laughs> why was that happening do we know uh, it's like free jack like why would you use Emilio <laughs> Estevez's brain and go to all that hassle for that just to get that <laughs> you already have Mick Jagger's brain okay that answers my question See? Uh, I have another question uh, mm-hmm. why? these are easy Okay, well, let me let's see. Why is free Jack done? So she's told. She asked, "Do you give me your consent to kill this dude?" After she's just said, "Hey, I'm here for justice from now on. That's my new job." And uh, Beat Takashi says, "Well, do I have your consent to kill this dude?" And she's like, "Yeah." Why does her giving consent to kill the evil corporate CEO guy? I thought it was just a callback, and it was stupid. Like it was just—it was that character yeah. not being in the first scene, but still somehow knowing it, so the audience would go, "Yeah, give me consent, bitch! Woo, let's do yeah, this." Yeah, I, I give it. That's I give that awesome. no more. I think that Kelly's absolutely right. I give it no more. Lazy no callback. more weight than the fact that we're just positioning him in front of this pool of water that we're obviously going to shoot him into. I mean, yeah. there, could, there be more, has it there. could there be a more obvious, like, I'm moving over here so that you can shoot me into this pool thing of water? Is there thing. could be. He could have walked in front of a huge fish tank. <laughs> that would have been <laughs> way more conspicuous. Well, Jellyfish. Well, well, there's a great moment. Uh, I mean, there's there's sort of a great moment in Lethal Weapon 2 with a fish tank, but also right. with... One of the assassins where the guy's like, I'm I'm just looking to see if there's any plastic under my feet. You know, basically, he's he's just making sure he's not he's not about to be assassinated. Uh, but this this movie doesn't even have the sense not to like to know how Rupert Sanders does not know how to block that scene so that it's not no. so obvious that he's yeah. going to shoot him into that. This perfectly coffined so you know, telegraph of water. Oh God, it was so annoying. Uh, but I don't know why she's doing the consent thing. I think it's just cute. I is, that, just, is that not in the anime? The consent, yeah, but but it's That's not. Signature line. I mean, nothing is as ham-handed in the anime. I mean, the anime's even even with all its weird like philosophical stuff, it's not ham-handed like this is. Well, I like that consent idea as a philosophical exploration of like free will, and and when you've discovered, yeah. yeah, we didn't need your consent all along. Like my decision. It's a little RoboCopy too. Like you have to say this to do this. Right, oh. right. Except it's not a plot point. <laughs> like in right. it's not yeah. even a plot point. Yeah. Like firing the dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also in Resident Evil. Dingus, <laughs> uh, how about a Clint, a Clint Mansell soundtrack? Yeah. What do you think? <sighs> 
Good lord. <laughs> there was music? <laughs> even, I yeah, can't I, remember anything about the music in this movie. Boy, listening all. to the the music in um in the original is just a, it's it's really a pleasure. It's it's distinctive, it's weird. Uh it's weird to my I don't know, my ears, but maybe not to uh, it's by this guy named Kenji Kawai. Uh, it's just got a wholly different sound to it, and it totally makes sense. This just sounds utterly generic. Yeah, I think Did you Clint like said, the music in this? No, no, it had no character. I think Clint Mansell just had one of his uh, like aides, the person he has normally like, you know, pick up <laughs> pick up milk from the store. He's like, you you do this score. I'm, Deep stage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a weird when a movie's title is like an ironic, like it. Like it goes right into the those where movie critics try and work it like gravity launches to fifty million. <laughs> Ghost in the Shell's problems are all in the title. Like the title kind of tells you what's wrong with the movie. Like it's the wrong shell for the. It's a ghost of an idea. Ghost in the Shell comes out hollow. Yeah, um, is that a good one? Do you like that one? <laughs> yeah, nice. Subroutine negated. <laughs> uh, Chris Mergerson also hates all the Juliet Binoche storyline. Totally. How do you guys feel about that? The doctor. I, yeah, I didn't feel enough about it to even hate it. I just say, oh, there's Juliette Binoche. Predictable arc. I didn't understand if you're if you're gonna have this glass there that you can just shoot through. Why not just make why it? I have the glass. Just have it open. Well, I'll tell you why not. I mean, why they had it? Come on, you guys. Because then you get the shot of the shatter of the fragmenting glass and the Juliette Binoche re- reflection splitting oh. into different images, which PG-13. represents which no, it represents her being of multiple minds about whether or not this is a good thing to do. Is she a scientist? Is she a mother? It's all visual like symbolism, split. you guys. Are you guys not bright enough to get that? Come on. No, I thought no, it was a uh, reference to the movie Sybil. Wait, what? <laughs> She's not sisters, dingus. <laughs> what? I did. I did. It did make me think uh, uh, a scene where the scientist has to put <laughs> down her creation. I don't know what he meant either. Oh, is Sybil not about, like, sisters? It's about multiple yeah. personality. Yes, so technically sisters. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of a movie called Sisters with Margot Kidder. That early Brian yeah. De Palma thing. That's not Sybil. That's Sisters. It's not, is Sybil Shepherd in Sisters? <laughs> no, she's in your Sybil's sister. I've never – is Sybil Shepherd really in Sybil? He's the, here's what Tom just did. He thought the word sibling when you right. said – Oh. Said, <laughs> yeah. Well, because there's a movie called Sisters, so I thought sibling, sister, okay, whatever. Yeah, it's called Siblings <laughs> look, in Mind. Look, I knew what I was talking about. It doesn't matter if That's you guys know what I'm talking about. I just wanted to understand it before I could proceed, so now I get it. <laughs> Siblings. All right. What were you also, saying? <laughs> see Sisters with Margot Kidder. She's adorable. Aw. Margot. Margo. Yeah, pre-crazy Margot Kidder. Can you read uh, her? And I forgot what I was saying, but I'm sure it was awesome, and you guys just missed out now. Huh. Sorry, I... I sidetracked you on that. Oh, no, no, I, I was going to say uh, the scene where the scientist has to kill her creation. Like, remember in Morgan oh. how kind of cool that was? There were great little bits like that in Morgan. Oh, yeah, yeah. And every movie. <laughs> <laughs> Dingus, do you have any questions for Kelly Wand about this movie? Uh, Kelly Wand, how do you feel about the deep dive? I'd fuck any brain, not just Scarlet's. One, two, three, not only you and me Got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between Counting one, two, three, feet apart and out of three Getting down with three feet, everybody loves all oh, Does I care about a girl's mind? Uh, this is the most important. 
smart. What? I'm oh, saying smart things. You're so what are you talking about? Ah, oh, just like Scarlet. Just like that window through which Juliet Binoche was shot. Yeah. Is the window invisible? Remember, Ju- there's a window that Juliet Binoche is undoing in Godzilla. Remember? Yeah, she's in that. No, she gets close behind the, <laughs> the door with yeah. the window, and her, her and Brian Cranston, she dies on the other oh side my of the God. window. In the Godzilla uh, movie, you're right. Yeah, it's always bad news when you see her closed up behind a window. You know she's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. That's a great job. Oh my gosh, I forgot yeah. that she did that. All right, you know what that was, Dingus? That was a come-from-behind victory. I screwed up with siblings. I redeemed myself with Godzilla. Yeah, you really so, can. Let's That's do a three-by-three three of come-from-behind victories. Now, what this is, in movies Not a lot so. of times, where there's like a, a fight or a battle or something, the hero is like, because we saw this in, in Redline, a movie we recently watched. The hero is losing. Oh, no, the hero is losing and losing, and he's going to lose probably to the villain or something. And then, nope, at the end, he wins. Now, a lot of times he wins just because, for Frisbee. just because he's the hero, he wins. But in cool <laughs> movies like Redline, they come up with a, with a rationale. There's like a plot mechanic for why this person wins. And that, that's personally what I'm doing with this list. You can do what you like. But I like it in movies where the come-from-behind victory has some rationale other than we need the good guy to win, so he's going to suddenly punch real hard or try real hard, or he's just going to prevail for whatever reason. Uh, so change all my mind. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Kelly, one, you're going first, so change them quickly. What is your number three pick for a favorite come from behind victory? Okay, my number three favorite come from behind victory is in the motion picture Teen Wolf because unlike in Flubber, um, in Teen Wolf, he he has to win by not being a werewolf because he's really good at basketball because he's a werewolf michael j fox's character and so but they come from behind he's like you know what i'm not going to be a werewolf and we're going to win because with a fat guy is going to step up we're all going to step up because we're all going to be like werewolves in soul and spirit not in my body so So there's no mechanic for why he is the like how he manages to do this it's just because he could just do it whenever he feels like it all right did you see teen wolf I did not, I'm afraid. It's a whole Anyone TV who, series, right? Tom's always only seen the Jason Bateman one. Uh, it's like Zapped, but a different power. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there, there's been one good were, two good werewolves movies made. Werewolves as a genre are dumb. No, I like three. Uh, three. I sorry, I came up with three. Go ahead. What do you like? Right, you cool just remembered the underworld movies. <laughs> no, that's a perfect example, Dingus. Werewolves are all dumb CG these days. Oh, you know what? Four. I just thought of a fourth good werewolf movie. Oh, yeah, like, I like the Nixon Wolf movie. No, no, you don't. It's what? Terrible. I love that movie. It's awful. No, are you serious? Because he likes being a werewolf. It's like it works out for him. He's like, yeah, I can work faster. I can fuck Michelle Pfeiffer. It's great. Look. <laughs> My God. All right. It gets more hair as it goes. And I also like the the novel Wolf's Power, which is like about a werewolf spy in World War II. Oh, good. It's You'll like have to bring death. that up during our book podcast, Kelly Wand. I'm just saying, werewolves are underrated. It's called uh, Wolf's Power? Uh, wolf's Hour, with an H. Oh, wolf's Hour, all right. It's not like... Uh, so it's a bit of werewolf who learns to tell time. Yeah. See, and then he's trying to race the train. Never mind. It's too complicated. <laughs> Dingus, can you think of any good werewolf movies before I, I reveal what the only what four like good werewolf see? movies are? There's only uh, four. I would think that um, the, the Hunger movie, isn't that a werewolf movie? That's vampires, fucker. Jesus. <laughs> terrible at this. Yeah, okay. What a terrible, terrible man that is. An American vampire in Paris. 
Oh yeah, that's a good one. I know, that's right? What I that's what I, that's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. That's that's, that's the first one that I thought of. Yeah. Uh, so the other ones are the Howling. I think the Howling yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah. It's the early Joe Dante. Um, Ginger Snaps, which is yeah. uh, early yeah, Elizabeth Snaps Perkins, and uh, yeah, what's her name? What's the girl? Uh, Isabella. Shoot, Elizabeth Perkins, and who's the other Isabel? She's totally a scream queen. What's her name? Kelly Wand. Uh, she's the queen of Spain. Uh, things that are green. Anyway, uh, Kelly Wan doesn't know his scream queens. So, uh, American Werewolf in London, Howling Ginger Snaps, and a really weird. And I'm gonna go ahead and recommend this. Uh, a, a really weird Scandinavian movie called uh, When Animals Dream. Uh, I think it's Danish. Nice. Yeah, it's a it's a Danish movie about. Uh, well, you know what? It's about a girl who just lives with their family and uh there might be werewolves involved it's called when animals dream if you can find it it's super art house uh but i think that's also that's one of the few good werewolf movies so there, there might be werewolves involves a good paul thomas anderson movie wait what with daniel day lewis see because uh, are you saying there's werewolves and there will be blood i'm saying it could happen because there might be there might be where oh I see like that could be a, su- a subtitle for it yeah like the porn version at any rate Teen Wolf Kelly Wan like has Rick a great come from behind victory huh which is one ginger, oh yeah which is the Ginger Snaps movie is that the one where they're in a dorm Canadian girls yeah it's basically werewolves the the metaphor is uh, girls hitting puberty uh, and I don't they're they're in high school and there have actually been I think four three or four Ginger Snaps movies and they get progressively worse. As horror movies tend to do. Just like the Teen Wolf saga. Exactly. <laughs> what about Breaking Dawn, Tom? What about Taylor Lautner? He's the what cross- about it, Kelly Wand? I'm just saying, that wasn't in your four. Did you... Was there five? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I did, oh, I just, I just thought Catherine Isabel. Do you not know who Catherine Isabel is, Kelly Wand? You, you should love her. Um, Seriously, Kelly Wand? Seriously? I don't like girls with two first names unless it's Champ Elizabeth. <laughs> All right. Well... All right, Dingus, it's your turn. What is your third favorite come from behind? Does Victor? Jerry Lewis count? He has two first names. You don't like him. Oh, yeah. That's true. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> I'm now listening to Dingus speaking. Totally. I'm leaning forward right now. You can't see it. Is Johansson a first name? All right, it's so uh, uh, my, my third favorite, and I thought I... Thought I might get in trouble for this. Um, so here's a quote from it. Make it close. Close second. Red line? So this, no, this is oh. from the movie uh, The Incredibles. Um, so this is not a literal uh, I won first place victory, that, but this is a personal victory. And this is Dash at the end of The Incredibles finally getting to compete because he's learned mm. – how to not be, um, I don't know, the whole family has learned how to uh, to work in this new paradigm because uh, they won't let him compete at the beginning of the movie. And he's looking for a, an outlet for his, uh, his competitive nature, and his family won't let him compete in, in sports stuff because uh, he's too competitive and he's kind of a jerk, <laughs> you know, a little smug little jerk. Um, and his mom's like, no, we know what, you're, you're way too competitive. You'll just blow everybody 
out of the water, and we're not allowed to do that as superheroes. We have to blend in with everybody else because everybody's special, Dash. And he's like, well, that means nobody's special. So by the end of the movie, um, they come to understand and reconcile uh, where their powers uh, fit in the world. And the world, you know, gets uh, presumably gets to understand how superheroes can now come back out of the closet, basically. Um, but still in this track meet, which has this weird kind of cast to it, um, Dash gets to compete, but he, he has to, uh, he has to kind of modify what he's doing. He has to be careful about it because he can't use necessarily his superpowers to compete against kids who don't have superpowers. Uh, so while it's this weird artificial thing where Dash starts off going slowly and he's still got that kind of smug face on and his family's cheering him on. They're like, come on, come on, come on, go, go. No, wait, wait, not so fast, not so fast. Pull back a little bit. And he's looking over at them and they're like, come on, make it a close second. Um, I, I don't like that necessarily as a um, message for kids as far as like who's special and who's not, but I like it as a victory for Dash getting to compete, getting to use his skills, and getting to figure out how he is going to um, – I don't know how to put it quite – like modulate what he's doing, modulate his powers um, so that he knows how to use them properly in – in society so that he can exist in society. And so I think it's a personal victory for him because he gets to actually compete and he wasn't allowed to do that at the beginning of the movie. That is as good as a combo. My number three combo from behind victory is, is Brody overcoming his fear of water and jaws. That's along those. That's if I had said, wow. That, I guess. <laughs> we're, we're turning you over to uh, immigration and customs enforcement. If maybe they'll deport you, maybe they won't. Who knows? Yeah. These if days. they do, they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he doesn't. Win. Okay. He's a personal victory. He doesn't right. win. It's an interesting he, choice. But he, he comes in a, a close no, I get second. What you're he saying. could have I understand easily what you're won. Saying. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't win, but so that's not the victory, but it's, it's a personal victory over his desire to win, which is called losing. Huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, it's, it's a moral victory. Yeah. It's like uh, she's all that victory. So far, Dingus, so far, Dingus, Kelly Wand is doing better at this topic. Actually, no, Kelly well, Wand, you, Kelly Wand, and you are tied at this topic. Wait till my number one. What? Right. Mine, they win. How might I? Kelly's way ahead of me. I don't know. Okay. Teen Wolf. I don't. I, nobody should ever pick Teen Wolf for anything ever. All right. right. That's the that's the law of the land I'm in. <laughs> Are you telling me, Kelly Wan, that I should see Teen Wolf? Uh, I'm not saying that. That's what I thought. I remember not hating Teen Wolf. Like I was like, oh. But I remember reading that he was doing Family Ties and Back to the Future at the same time. And Teen Wolf's one where you can tell he's really tired. Like he's just really <laughs> he's like sleep deprived in it. But he's huh. good. He's right. just he's. You know, no you Kelly's Wait. been doing Marty McFly all day. He's just right. like, oh, i got to do this guy, too. Fuck, another high school. Fuck. All right. Well, let's see. I went with uh, actual victories in actual contests of some sort. And this, my third I like is, is a sword fight. I rewatched Rob Roy, which does not hold up at all. It's so just kind of 90s and anodyne. And, oh, these Scots in their kilts, they're the good guys. And, oh, the English are awful. But... Uh, John Hurt's kind of sympathetic, and everybody else is terrible, and look how noble the Scots are, and 
Eric Stoltz is a he's a faithful sidekick, and oh, he's been killed. Aren't you sad? Uh, Rob Roy is kind of terrible. Um, is that the Tim Roth? Is Tim Roth? Tim part? Roth is awesome in it. Well, you know what? He's awesomely overacting. Tim Roth is so over the top; it's ridiculous. Uh, it's he's hamming it up 110 percent. And I remember thinking, oh, he's really good. No, I mean I don't think it's a. It's just an actor being completely silly. However, during the fight at the end, because Rob Roy all comes to a head when Tim Roth, who's been doing villainous things to Rob Roy and his family throughout the movie, uh, Tim Roth and Liam Neeson are going to have a sword fight at the end. It's going to resolve it, and this is a climax of the movie. Uh, And the sword fight is a come-from-behind victory because clearly – and this is an awesome moment too where Tim Roth is cool because he's been wearing a ridiculous wig. Most of the characters have, the English characters throughout the movie. You either look ridiculous because you're wearing a skirt because you're playing a Scottish character or you look ridiculous because you're wearing a wig – because you're playing an English character. Everybody in this movie looks ridiculous. However, when it comes time to do the sword fight, Tim Roth takes his wig off and gets super serious. And the reason is he knows he's going to win. And he – because he is good, and he does – he is winning. As you watch this fight, and it's, it's a great uh, fight, there's no chance that Liam Neeson is, is going to win this fight. Tim Roth is fast. He's good. He knows how to get out of the way. He's obviously a trained swordsman in that he's like a noble who has trained this, and uh, Liam Neeson is just kind of a salt-of-the-earth man who can just wield a big old sword. Uh, And Tim Roth handily steps out of the way, and if we're going to have this movie have a happy ending, it's because the director's going to decide, oh, Liam Neeson tries really hard and wins anyway. And as the fight goes on, it's clearly – that's going to become less and less plausible because Tim Roth is drawing blood. He's just jumping in there and like cutting him and then getting out of the way. And Liam Neeson, he's starting to – he's sweating and he's slowing down, and he can barely stand up. He can barely lift the sword. He falls to his knees, and it's pretty much over, and they've both pledged this is to the death. It's like in Star Trek when you fight in Star Trek. So <laughs> Tim Roth comes up, and he holds the, the, the blade up to Liam Neeson's throat. And he's about to run him through, and he just looks over at his sponsor real quick. And when he looks over, Liam Neeson reaches up and grabs the blade with his hand and uses it as leverage to just swing his big old sword around so that Tim Roth can't get away and basically just cleave him against his neck. Uh-huh. And he kind of knows. like he ne- I don't know that he planned that. But and it tears up his hand. Like he, you see him grabbing it and holding the sword so it can't get away. Blood coming out of his hand, and he just does one swing because he's big and powerful. Right. But he's not nimble and fast. And as long as he can hold Tim Roth in one place, as long as he can get that one swing in, he handily wins. And it's a great, it's a great comeback. Uh, so I love that little bit in Rob Roy. I'm not sure it made watching the whole movie over again worthwhile, but that fight scene certainly holds up. It's like uh, Trump. Rob Hollywood. Roy. Yeah. Save that. Rob Roy kind of lost its lost its. Uh, it was one of those things. Like Rob Roy is to Braveheart as uh, Armageddon is to Deep Impact. I don't even like Braveheart though. I just uh. oh the people who are Irish or Scottish are awesome and the English are jerks. Like I mean, sure, yeah, I agree with that. But I haven't seen a movie romanticize that very well, very effectively. Well, he played with history a lot too in it. Like he. Liam Neeson or or, uh, or uh, Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. Okay. Well, you got it. History, history is boring. You got to play with it to make it interesting. Right. Yes. <laughs> that is one of my. I love movies where someone's physical 
being has a huge effect on how they fight. And right. Rob, like what you're saying is like a perfect example of that. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the payoff of the movie. Like it's what the movie is leading towards. And once that happens, the movie's like, okay, we're, we're done. That's what we wanted to show you. We're, we're done now. And it pretty much ends quickly. Like Uma Thurman's really skinny and killed. Bill I don't remember so. that moment though. I mean, is it like oh, the John is. Wick moment where he like stabs himself in order to kill? Oh yeah. Yeah. Guy? Totally. Totally. Like yeah. it's like Michael Caton Jones knows what he's got. He knows to, to clearly lay this. Oh. Liam Neeson is beaten that there's, he's on his knees. He doesn't, he can't even lift his sword. And when he grabs it – and it also, by the way, this is kind of weird. I think – I don't know if it's intentional. It recalls a moment earlier in Rob Roy where he's in a tavern, and some unwashed jerk who's got a beef with him comes up and is like, Rob Roy, let's step outside. I'm going to fight you. And Liam Neeson is like, no, friend. I'll buy you a drink. Let's not do this. And the guy's like, no, I'm going to kill you. You deserve it. And, and he's like super mean and mad at him. And Liam Neeson's like, okay, so how about we just fight to the first blood? And the guy's like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And so Liam Neeson re- – because the guy's brandishing his sword. Liam Neeson reaches out, and he rubs his palm along the edge of the guy's sword to cut himself. And he says, see, look, you win. Uh, <laughs> and so later that's come from behind too. Yeah, well, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. I forgot it was Michael Caton Jones. He's, he's a Scottish dude, isn't he? Ah, that would explain a lot, Dingus. That would explain a lot. Why he doesn't realize that it's ridiculous having men run around in skirts. And yeah. Tom's well, Irish accent. I just remember the only thing I remember him doing, I think, was Memphis Bell. I don't remember what else he did. Oh, uh, Memphis Bell's good. Wait, yeah. Yeah, I like that movie. I think that was him. There aren't enough good movies about B twenty five crews. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's go. Or is it B seventeen? <laughs> That's a B seventeen. Sorry, before you send in. Nerd Chris. alert. All right, yeah. Dingus. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what's your second favorite come from behind victory? Hey, it was really scary when uh, Danny Torrance saw the words Rob Roy in the mirror, too, in the shine. <sighs> Wait, is that a come from behind victory? <laughs> what are you doing? It's, yeah, because it's backwards. <laughs> yeah, it's backwards. <laughs> it's the words Rob Roy backwards. <laughs> do you guys oh. remember? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Okay, I just got that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember an amazing stories where uh, I don't know if it's Eric Stoltz or somebody was the belly gunner? I don't know if you what you call that dude. And he had and he was a cartoonist. Yeah. That's on Amazing Stories. That's, yeah, that's what, what I said. I, that's just what I said. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm wondering if anybody Sorry. else remembers that where he where he drew like the wheels for the plane because the that's on the, Amazing Stories. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember oh, yeah. Outer Limits where Kelly kept saying amazing stories? I was thinking Daniel Day-Lewis was a werewolf because <laughs> he can smell oil. Kelly wants siblings. Oh, yeah. Is the movie siblings? <laughs> siblings. Multiple personality girl. Sibling. All right. Yeah. Kelly Wan, your second favorite come from behind victory is – The doctors are all, yeah, she's definitely sibling right now. Look, yeah, see, three, three faces of Adam. Go invisible. Uh, all right. This question for Dingus for my number two. Tell me if you remember a movie with characters named Swish, Preacher, and Hustler. No? Can I guess? Dingus wouldn't. Yeah, you can guess. Why are you asking nope. Dingus? Is it something he would know? I think he uh, – yeah, I think he said this movie before. Okay, and then it's not The Warriors. <laughs> no, and I, I referenced it, and he's like, yeah. He got really excited, and I think you've never seen it, and most people haven't. But Dingus and I happened to just see it at the right time. And they Singing is a... me? No, no, it's um, 
Uh oh, he knows what it is. I want to say it's um, damn it. Thing is, it has to come from behind victory. Yes. It's is it Gabe Kaplan? Yeah, it's Fast Break, bro. I don't remember the name of it. Okay, Fast Break. This is a sports fast movie. Break. We talked about when did we, hockey, when did right? we talk break. about that? I don't know, but I remember being excited that you knew what it was, and I was like, ah, oh, another Fast Break viewer. Well, I like Gabe Kaplan a lot. I do too, and it was, and you never saw it again. Like it was never on cable, and it was. I think it. I probably wouldn't hold up, and like. There's a scene where. Uh, but what confused me is Swish, Swish, Preacher, and Hustler sound like 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 three dogs in this weird little gang. Yeah. It, which makes me think of Ghost in the Shell and why the hell that dog thing was in there. Because <laughs> dogs are cute. Those dogs, especially seem, that Basset Hound fella, he was awesome. Doesn't seem to pay off at all. But but Swish Preacher, there's Preacher, there's a dog named Preacher in something. Anyway, it's go a ahead. Terrible sorry. name for a dog. I know. I agree with you, Actually, but there's you know something. What, I, I like that name for a dog. There's some dog named Preacher and something. <sighs> Darn it. Anyway, Gabe uh, Kaplan. Moving well, on. to spice up the basketball game sequences, there's a road trip sequence where they have to drive across the country in Gabe Kaplan's car for some reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy <laughs> in the back is smoking weed, and then they hear a police siren behind him. And then Gabe Kaplan's all, fuck, we got to eat the weed. How much do you have? And then the guy raises a bag. He's all, one pound. And so they're all eating <laughs> weed frenziedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cop probably hands on them and they pull over and they've eaten like three quarters of the weed and then the police car like speeds past them because it's chasing them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, fast break. So that's the come from behind victory I kind of want to use, but at the end they do come from behind and the trick is Swish is, the, is actually a girl. What? So pretending to be a guy. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. her character. Mm-hmm. The yeah. assortment of ragtag, uh, ragamuffins, and so preachers. Wait, like how does that preacher. help them? Because I thought girls. She's really good at basketball, but she's not allowed in the game because she's a girl. But I see. Oh, girl! And then one of the other players kind of falls for her, of course. But uh, but Swish makes the climactic shot. But the fact that she's a girl is the exciting mechanic that you're. Looking I was for. once told, and Dingus, you might know if this is true, that. A lot of newspapers and whatnot, like when whenever they would run stories about women's basketball, they were jerks because they would run they would run pictures of the women like struggling for the ball or at a you know or or in some awkward pose, and in men's basketball they would always show them looking graceful and cool. Is that yeah. true, Dingus? Is there an anti-women's basketball agenda in the mainstream media? Sparks. I, well, not anymore. I mean, we actually we just had a huge, there's a huge thing that happened in women's basketball this week. Actually, what what happened in women's basketball this week? Well, we're in the middle of uh, the NCAA tournament for all these sports. March Madness, March Madness. Um, and the UConn women's team lost for the first time in I don't know more than a hundred games. So you tell um, UConn, the Alaskan women's basketball team. No, University of Connecticut. Oh, you. Oh, I see. Okay, I see. Okay. Not not UConn, but UConn. Right. Um, it's a, it was a huge story. Oh and no, it, they upset the think, Wolverines. Or no, they, I got a breaking news alert about this and had no idea what it meant. Yeah, yeah. They got upset by Mississippi State, I think. Oh right, right, but, right, right. But the weird thing for me isn't necessarily that because I don't know necessarily what you're talking about. I mean, women, the women's teams don't necessarily have those 
huge dunk moments that Kelly was referencing a minute ago. But dunk the weird dunk. thing is that uh, is that if <laughs> Lord, I mean um, uh, something that they're always sexist. They're always called the lady whatevers. You know, whatever the the name lady of the team warriors. is. They're the they're the lady huskies or or I don't think the huskies do that with with UConn, but a lot of them are the you know the lady cavaliers or whatever and and that's what people were like why are they doing that that's not necessarily a media thing that's just uh a, a way that i don't know if you would call it sexism but it was just the way that the tradition carried forth but i don't know what you're talking about as far as the pictures are concerned how come dudes mo- don't get to play against chicks in uh in tennis or volleyball it's a good question all right like Serena Williams versus uh, John McEnroe. Yeah. Why don't we see that? I don't know. Well, uh, I was actually listening to a dude talk about that this week on another oh. podcast that I listened to. He was talking about the fact that um, the fact that we separate uh, genders from the beginning, as far as sports is concerned, is a huge mistake. Um, and that shouldn't be the case. And maybe there would be women professional football players if we didn't do that. Well, how come Danica Patrick gets to drive those open-wheel cars when she's lighter than men? That's not fair. She's not lighter than all men. That's a good point. They should Combined. get some horse jockeys in there doing their F1 yeah. racing. Yeah. The Mighty Ducks would, cheerleaders. Who do you think would win in a fight cars. between her and Kelly Watt? Tim Roth. Uh, I'd lo- I'm still interested. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Watt, so you're fast break. You're number fast two break. Man, he's top an that. awesome. Hey, I, I have nothing as good as that mustache. Gabe Kaplan's mustache is just so oh. awesome. I thought you were talking about swishes. No, I was talking about rides. Oh. All right. So um, my number two choice, is, my number, my numbers two and one are fairly standard. Uh, they're not as weird as my my dumb number one that got me might get me deported somehow. Um, but mine's uh, also a, a, a basketball one. And here's a bit of dialogue from it. Um, <laughs> That's so not a sport. Sports. So much sports. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen in this category. <laughs> Who could have seen it? I thought it was going to be about math tests. I love this movie so freaking much, and it was such a pleasure. I watched it a couple times. I just love this movie so much. So here's here's a little bit of dialogue from it. Say hello to Chester. Hello, Chester. Say goodbye to Chester. Um. So this is from a movie called Hoosiers. Oh. Uh, which, which movie? I, well, basketball is my favorite sport. I I absolutely love. It. It's my favorite sport to play. It's the only sport I will watch. And you know, I used to watch Wimbledon, um, which is not a basketball sport. Um, I don't watch professional football anymore. I'm sick of it. But I will watch college basketball. And uh, and just college um, basketball. What about professional? You don't care about professional basketball i hate i hate too old i hate wait what what's the difference other than some of them are better than others like why are you watching the inferior players uh i just love the way that the college game works how is it different than the the guys who do it for real i don't know it just feels closer to the spirit of the game is it weird that you think that or do other people think that no it's weird that i think that i'm weird oh your brother's like that well, he does it with football. He only cares about college football, and he doesn't care about the NFL. Right? Is it because it's is it because they're attached to the place they went to school? Maybe. No, I just had they're different. But it's also the season. I mean, there's there's maybe thirty games. 
30 to 40 games that you're going to watch them play. And the tor- and the tournament is the, the most ex- exciting. The, the college basketball tournament tournament is the most ex- exciting sports event in the world to me. Um, whereas the professional teams play like 82 games and the playoffs go for, it feels Ever. like 17 months. I mean, it feels like they go forever. And, and there's fewer surprises and they're all the same. And some of the teams don't give a shit. Right. And, and, and in the college, they always, they're super committed, like Let's do this. Like at the beginning of this year's uh, professional basketball season, uh, everybody basically said, look, uh, we all know that at the end of the year, the two teams that are going to face off against each other are going to be the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Everybody knows that. And that's probably the way it's going to work out. So the regular season doesn't really matter that much. Whereas in college basketball, it feels like Every single game matters, and I just love the I love the college game. I love watching it. I don't watch it anymore because I just don't have time to watch sports. Um, but man, I love that. I love it so much. Uh, now Hoosiers, however, is about Indiana basketball, uh, but high school basketball, and I just I love the story. Uh, I love the way it, it's directed by a guy named David Asbaugh, who was who is from Indiana, and it's sort of sort of kind of based on this one team that kind of did something um but it's this this small town team this tiny little team that that struggles to get to the the championships uh of the the state championship um it it's a little weird watching it uh because it really feels like like a a couple of white guys on from a small town going to the big town to play against a bunch of black guys and beating them um, because that, that was a kind of a big deal in basketball, uh, especially college basketball when uh, African-American players actually started to get uh, success. And so watching this is a little bit of uh, and a weird, not subversion or inversion. I don't know what it is, but it's a little weird watching it. But it's just such a well put together movie. Um, it's it's very schmaltzy. Uh, it you know this it, when you say come from behind victories, Tom. This is that sort of typical idea of you know they're down six points with a minute and ten to go. They they score and they 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 make their way up they're, they're a smaller team there's only like six or seven of them on the team they don't have much of a bench um they they get to that point where they tie up the they tie it up and and the way that it actually works out is really really great but there's a couple of it's also very much i guess against what kelly wand would like in a movie because there's very much a redemptive quality both for the team but also for the guy who's a coach who is played by Gene Hackman and really a, a really great performance. And Dennis Hopper's are also really great in this movie. Um, but he's coming back into coaching after having been exiled from coaching because he punched a kid. So he's kind of like a Bobby Knight kind of a character. Um, and he's, and he's, kind of being redeemed so he's kind of coming from behind too but this is that typical at the last second 
this team is going to win when it was behind and it, nobody thought they could win. But I absolutely love Hoosiers. And I, it's, it's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. But I think if you were to watch it, Tom, you would just be rolling your eyes constantly. Well, you've ruined the ending for me. And I know they win now. So there's no, no reason for you to watch it. That's a good point. Spoiled. Yeah. Uh, okay, so basketball. <laughs> Are you guys done with basketball? If they uh, the, just two basketball movies in a row. Oh my god, is that it? I'm for done sports? with basketball till my alternates. Oh, so much <laughs> basketball. What? I love basketball. It's my basketball's sport. great. Oh, man, I love it so it's much. It's Basketball like you get points and you get points and you get points. Everybody's getting points all the time. Points, 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 points. That's a basketball game for you. That's points. the pacing of basketball. As opposed to. Yeah, he prefers soccer and hockey. hockey yeah, now that's... nobody gets points in hockey. You can leave uh, hockey, hockey and just come back later, and nothing will have happened. You got <laughs> no. plenty of time to read a book when you're <laughs> like, watching never hockey. Know. Never know. Sometimes it'll be seven points, like in a minute. Yeah. It'll be crazy. And hockey can score accidentally. That's how. Awesome Here's hockey. a sport for you guys. The director of In Her Shoes, <laughs> one of his finest movies, uh, involves me. the sport of rap battling. Oh, Jesus Christ. Why are you going Oh, on? very good. This is great. At the uh, end of 8 Mile, which is uh which is Eminem playing basically uh, a young disaffected white guy in Detroit uh <laughs> kind of himself. Uh he is up he's up against Anthony Mackie in a rap battle who's been his rival throughout the movie. Anthony Mackie's game gang has been uh, harassing his gang and his, one of the dudes over there slept with his girlfriend and they, they, they just beat him up. They just kicked the crap out of him and he's got a black eye for this big rap battle and Ugh. he's not even going to show up. He's not even going to go. How can he go on? He's got a black eye. He can't talk with a black eye. Fuck. Well, and at the last moment too, he's, black he's guy. nobody thinks he's going to show up. So at the last moment, he decides to show up and he is a, a white guy in a room full of black people. All the other people that he's that he's rapping. But his eyes are black. Blacks. So he is totally out. Uh, like the the room is pretty much turned against him, uh, and uh-huh. he has to like he works his way up through the ranks. He wins the first rap battle and the rap battle culture is like so fascinating to watch these super intimidating dudes just standing up there and stand and taking it while they insult each other and like saying the worst things about each other but the idea is you have to somehow make it clever uh so the first rap battle he wins by mooning the guy uh more whiteness not really anywhere you can go from there. The second one, he barely wins. It's super close. The audience almost votes for the other guy because what happens is they each do their rap battle at each other, and then McKee Pfeiffer says, okay, who won? And whoever gets the most cheering wins. So for the the semifinal rap battle, he almost loses it. It's super close. And for the final rap battle, he's going up against Anthony Mackie. You know, what's he going to do? Uh, Anthony Mackie has seen him previously and when you go last you kind of have a disadvantage advantage because you get in the last word so anthony mackie during the head toss says okay eminem you go first thinking that he'll get in the last word i'm sorry the the coin toss where you pick heads or tails you don't toss a head sorry the I coin toss anthony mackie people. wins uh and he says okay eminem you're going first and so what he does uh and his his name in the movie is rabbit is he anticipates yeah. Everything that he knows Anthony Mackie is going to make fun of him for. And the thing is, he had been told to do this, like he had learned to do this because right before he was going up against Anthony Mackie, one of his sort of clueless friends says, are you worried about what he's going to say? And Rabbit says, what do you mean? 
and his clueless friend is like, "Well, yeah, he's going to say that you that he beat you up and that he, you know, his friend fucked your girl and that you got a black eye and he's going to say all that stuff." And you see Rabbit thinking, and and when you're watching the movie, you're like, "Oh yeah, he is worried about it." But this is the moment where he realizes, "Yeah, I'm just going to head off everything he's going to say. I'm going to anticipate all of the insults he's going to throw at me. I'm going to own them, and basically, I'm going to get in front of this black audience and say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm white trash. I don't care. I mm. know that about myself. And here are the things he's going to say about me." And then he furthermore uh, unveils Anthony Mackie's like private school background, but that just sort of drives the the hammer, the final nail in the coffin. Uh, so that's how he wins: is by owning up to all the reasons that that he should be alien to this audience. Uh, and I love that comfort behind victory. Uh, I love that's Eight really Mile. Great. Eight Mile's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and just the art of just the, the art of all the different rappers uh, during the rap battle stuff and. And it's so sad seeing Brittany Murphy again, too, because yeah. she died, uh, and she's just so, like, luminous in that movie. Do you remember what his clueless friend's character's name was? Cheddar Bob. Yeah, I love that actor. Yeah. Evan Bob. Evan something. But, yeah, Cheddar she's Bob. She's in Clueless, too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So there you go. This is my number two favorite come-from-behind victory is 8 Mile. Let's now get to our favoritest come-from-behind victories. Kelly Wand, do we need to talk about more basketball? No. Oh, but God. I wonder if I'll get pulled over for this. All right. Well, Dingus may be being deported, so it's up to ICE. It's not up to me. We'll just see what how they like to interpret the executive orders that are being issued these days. Okay. My number one is um, the movie Rocky. But – Oh, yeah. Right. My choice is Apollo Creed and Rocky. Like <laughs> <laughs> this. Go on. Because he doesn't know he's in a movie called Rocky. He thinks it's just another fight. and so He thinks he's in an alien horror movie. Yeah. And, like, he basically gets his ass beat. Like, he, he he's up at first, and then um, Rocky is beating the shit out of him for the whole second half of the fight. And the audience is against him, and he's, this thing's going to win Best Picture <laughs> over... Um, something else. Now, Kelly Wan, what I love about this is that the audience is that, yeah, you're, you're thinking that, yeah, he's going to lose. This is a movie yeah. about Rocky. So you think he's going to lose. And no, he right. doesn't. He comes from behind yeah. and he has a victory. Kelly Wan, he I think that's a little ingenious. Yeah. So if you just watch the movie, is his story. You're like, yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Accomplished. And then no, you're not, you're, you're not getting pulled over, Kelly Wan. You're, you, I give you a little gold star in the book right here. Because he does win. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says there ain't going to be no rematch, but then uh, he forgets that he said that. Because we have several. How many Rocky movies are there, Kelly Wan? Count them. There's, do we count Creed? In which case there's seven. Of course we do. Is, there, is that really it? That makes seven? There's only seven Rocky movies, Tom. There's four Rambos. That's 11 total. So that's it's 11, a, yeah. There's, a, a so there's 11 Rocky movies. Rocky it's a sad movies. state of affairs. There right. need to be more Rambos than Rockies. That's more, more now. Now more than ever, Kelly Wand. We need more Rambo's than Rockies. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm so glad you said that, Tom. Is The Rock a Rocky movie? Uh, the Rock is a Rocky movie. The actor, but not the movie The Rock. I started to watch when it came on when Dingus and I saw Ghost in the Shell tonight. Oh, and I should have – Kelly Wand, remind me to get Dingus riled up in a minute. Uh, right. I started to watch the trailer for Baywatch. Oh, and, you know, it's the it's rock. Like yeah, whatever. It's going to be dumb. But he won me over about maybe, you know, four or five lines into the trailer. And I went the ahead rock? and closed my eyes. Yeah, it's the rock and Zac Efron. 
Um, it's comedy and it's R-rated and it's I bad. know, right? The Rock so, will say know. the F word maybe for right. the first time ever. Yeah. Fuck yeah, bitch. Whoa, 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 Kelly Wan, leave it to him. Let him do that. Oh, I was actually special. walking into the theater as that was playing, and I saw one thing that won me over as well. See? One, See? one little joke that I was like, all right, I don't want to watch any more of this, but you got me. 21 Jump Street all over again. Yep. Yeah, that's the smart way to do it. Yep. All right, so, uh, so Kelly Wand, uh, Rocky is your favorite come from behind victory yeah. <laughs> on behalf of Apollo Good Creed. work, Apollo. Good, good, good job yeah. coming from ahead. Dingus. <laughs> Dingus is just upset because he got pulled over for his bullshit. No, we'll I'm getting pulled over. I'm getting deported. We'll tell you deported. why Dingus is upset in a minute. He's still he's still upset. This is awesome. Go ahead, Dingus. Though. Tell us your number one. All right. This is super simple, but I freaking love this movie so much. I know a lot of people disagree with it because they don't like the way that this movie has been adapted from the book. Uh, it doesn't matter. I, I freaking love this movie. Um, I guess. Go ahead. Battle of Five Armies, Lord of the Rings. It, or, I mean, ew. Uh, that's not. a come from behind for the Eagles. <laughs> right. I thought that was going to be it. Sorry. Didn't know they were going to show up and they win. Dingus hasn't even seen that movie yet. Really? And, and I always hold forth that the Eagles are one of the five armies, and Tom won't agree with me. They never count them in the movie. They go, okay, wait, three. Nobody agrees with No, No one believes that the Eagles are one of the armies. Everyone does. It was. Def- I thought this was debunked, just like uh, the Trump Russia thing. I saw. Th- I've explained this on the podcast before. <laughs> Human, elves, dwarfs. Yes. Two correct. flavors of orcs. One of which a friend, oh, of shit, that's friend explained to me. One of them, my, my friend explained to me. You're one of the flavors of orcs is actually goblins. So it's goblins and orcs. No, I think your friend's wrong. Yep, it's true. Look it up. Although the eagles are an air force. Right, exactly. Support. It's part of the human military. Right. They're a navy, an air navy. But they fight in that. Like in, in Lord of the Rings, they just show up and go, all right, we're just deus ex mocking you back to uh, Rivendell. Yeah, they're just transportation. They, right. If they were really good, they would have brought them all the way back to the Shire. But no, another 45 minutes movie. Whatever. Thanks, Eagles. Why don't they just take them have, for that? Have you referred to Air Force as the Air Navy? Yeah. They like to be called that, I'm assuming. It's an honor. And the Navy's the Water Air Force. Kelly, I wonder if you ever see a Marine, Marines love this joke. Tell him, hey, do you know what Marine stands for? And when he says no, say, it stands Sub- for My Ass Rides in Navy Equipment. Marines uh, love that joke. Tell them that when you see them. All right. That's a cute one. It's like uh, Snafu. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, except you might you won't get punched if you explain to someone what snafu means. How far do you think he'll get into saying those letters before he gets punched? Martha, Marcy. <laughs> Keep going. Green. Yep, I'm punching you. I punch you. What? Yep, I just punched you. I take your punch and I put my hand over it like you get out. <laughs> no, or it's a stick shift. Remember the flub, is, uh, yeah, no, the, the flubbed fist bump. Yeah. Uh, All right, Dingus Quake. So, so oh no, well, Dingus, we know your number one is Battle of Five Armies. It is not. Good now Tom's turn. <laughs> Here's a quote from it. Uh, I believe we have two lives: the life we learn with, and the life we live after ah, that. Ghost in No. Now here's uh, here's the more popular quote from this particular movie. Goodbye, Mr. Spaulding. Uh, obviously, something to do with tennis. Shacks. Tennis is a type of. Uh, Spalding's a type of tennis ball. 
No, it's a baseball. It's the natural. So and Kelly oh ruined it last week by bringing up the natural when we were talking about this topic. Ah, <sighs> I've actually never seen you. it because it's a sports movie, but I like how it's going to connect it's with my number one, though. So go ahead, Dingus. Oh, I, I can't stand baseball. I, I mean, I like playing it. I'll go see it like live once in the blue moon. I hate watching it on TV. It's one of the worst I'm things awesome. ever. It's like watching, you know, grass grow. Um, but this particular movie, it's directed by Barry Levinson of all people. And it's, and it's another very schmaltzy movie. And it, and it really does cut against kind of the, the way that I think it's Malamud, Bernard Malamud, I think his, the way his book actually, uh, is more cynical than this movie is. Um, and Barbara Hershey is actually in both Hoosiers and in the natural. Um, but Glenn Close is awesome in it. Um, everybody's really, really good in it. Uh, but I just love the way it's put together. And it's just that, that perfect, again, the way in much the way that Hoosiers ends, uh, the way that, uh, that, the natural comes together at the end um, with uh, with his relationship, um, just his relationship with the the bat boy and, and the bat that he's helped the, the kid make. And he's made his own bat because of the tree in his yard that got hit by lightning and and the way his career has been totally derailed. The whole way the movie is is set and. And and it's also this weird thing that I I never really understood until I watched The Natural because uh, in modern in I don't know, in, in modern times the World Series is the end all be all as far as baseball is concerned uh, but in this time period the pennant was really winning the pennant was much more important and in fact the the Wilford Brimley characters like you know. I don't even care if we go to the series. I, I don't care if we – rather, he's like, I don't care if we win the series. All I've ever wanted read – he's talking to, uh, to his uh, assistant manager, I think. All I've ever wanted is to win the pennant. So this isn't this isn't even the World Series. This isn't like going to the Super Bowl. This is like the uh, the AFC or the NFC. This is this is winning the pennant, and that is so important to them. And right now, for now, it would be penultimate. <laughs> uh, but this is so important to them, um, and uh, I just love the way. Robert Redford plays the character. He seems too old for it, but it certainly works because of the way the movie goes. And oh man, it's it's so beautifully filmed, and it's so I don't know iconic uh, when he hits the ball and it hits those lights. And oh and, oh man, I just I am so absolutely crazy about the natural. Uh, but it is kind of a cheesy movie, and again, I think a, a movie that Tom, you would totally roll your eyes during. Uh, What's the come from behind victory? He like wins a baseball game. He's got blood coming out of his uh, shirt. I remember. Yeah, that. well, the the other team is ahead, and it's that right. it's that that typical like bottom of the ninth. They're behind. He's he's the last batter up. It's two outs, um, and uh, and he's down. I, I think he's down in the count. They put in a new uh, pitcher because the uh, the former pitcher was uh, uh, throwing too many balls. So they put in this this new guy who who th- is a lefty and uh, Roy Hobbs, who is the um, who is the, uh, the 
jeez, who's the actor? I just said his name. Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Robert Redford is also a, a left-handed batter, so you've got a lefty versus a lefty. South Park. A super, a super young dude who throws super hard, and uh, you know he breaks his his bat, the bat that he's used that he made himself as a kid, um, and so he gets the bat boy to bring him a new bat. Great moment, uh, but uh, there's there's two guys on base, and he's at the plate. And it's that bottom of the ninth moment where it's make or break. This is this is the last this is the last swing that they're going to have. And if he doesn't hit this ball out, um, they're not going to win. They're not going to win the pennant. Uh, and he does. And I mean, it's just it. it so it, it's it's you know it's that literal. Uh, they're down to the other team. It's bottom of the ninth, and uh, they come from behind to win. Right, thanks for spoiling the natural for me as well. So let me cross these off my list. I don't need to see Hoosiers or the natural. When he I'm knocks sorry, the lights this out. This is actually major head. league. No, go ahead. He knocks the lights out. What? Well, doesn't that mean no one in the audience can see what he does? So like, it's just dark, and so they have to redo it because the umpire can't see it. They're all werewolves. They're all werewolves. Yeah. So they can see by see, the light. He can smell where the ball is. <laughs> Dingus, do you know what Robert Redford's current movie is? Like it's now in limited release, this movie called The Discovery? No. So Robert Redford's in a movie called The Discovery, and the director, I thought I recognized his name and I had to look it up, uh, is directed by a guy named Charlie McDowell. Uh, and he co-wrote The Discovery with a fellow named Justin Later. And we know them from a little movie called The One I Love. Oh. Uh. So right. I don't know. It's his second movie, I think. I don't know what the discovery is, but that's in theatrical release, and it's with uh, Robert Redford. So for whatever reason, he he, you know, he got Robert Redford a name. Hmm. Um, so have you, cool never, have you never seen The Natural? No, it's a sports movie. Why do I? Why would I? I saw it when I was a kid. I liked oh. it when I was ten. <laughs> I didn't get through the chick was for some reason him. though. For some reason, I think I know that doesn't Glenn Close play like an assassin or someone who tries to yeah, assassinate she's him? She's the good one. Oh, she's the angel one. Yeah, oh, I it's, thought, it's, it's I the like, opposite of her like fatal attraction character. The but there I mean, is an the assassin scary person is Barbara Hershey. Oh, Barbara Hershey's not scary. That's terrible. That's well, she's, just an, she's a nutty. Um, she's a nutty sports fan who's uh, shot a couple of guys and, and then jumps off a building. And then Kim Basinger is also in it as the Hershey's you know, the, the minor femme fatale, right? The backup. Mm-hmm. Hey, I had a cool idea. I'm going to direct a movie, and then at the end it'll say directed by Kelly Wan, and then it'll say no relation. <laughs> I like where you're going with that, Kelly Wan. No, there's not another one. Let's get back All to right. Robert Redford because my number one pick is a 1972 Michael Ritchie movie. Ah, oh, Fletch Lives. Yeah, before Michael <laughs> Ritchie was known for Fletch. Oh, come from behind. Uh, he, he did a, a movie in 1972, and this predates Watergate when you think about it, which is a little odd to me, a deeply cynical movie about politics called The Candidate. And The Candidate is an amazing Peter Boyle. But the Candidate is actually great. The Candidate holds up. It's Aaron Sorkin before Aaron Sorkin even existed. Uh, actually, he might have been born. But uh, it's it's a political movie in a very Altman style where there's no exposition. It's just characters talking, and there's long scenes 
where you're just absor- observing the chaos of like a busy campaign headquarters. And uh, it begins very quietly with Peter Boyle coming off of a campaign and looking for someone to run against an incumbent senator. And he goes to Robert Redford, who's just this handsome young lawyer who's doing basically like pro bono community work in a small place in California. And he says, I, I want you to run for Senate. Let's let's go talk. And he knew uh, Robert Redford's father played by Melvin Douglas in this, was a successful politician. So he figures he can sort of bank on that name, put Robert Redford up as a candidate. And Robert Redford, when they're talking about it, says to Peter Boyle, well, how am I going to win? What's your trick? And there's this great little moment where Peter Boyle pulls out a, a, a matchbook and writes in the cover of the matchbook. And we don't have matches anymore, so kids these days will have no idea what's going on. He writes in the cover of the matchbook something, and he hands it over to Robert Redford. In answer to this this idea about well what's the trick how what are we going to do, and Robert Redford opens it and it says in there you lose, and their whole idea is it's not Peter Boyle's not really running him to win he just wants to get a candidate out there he's just looking for his next job, and the movie the candidate sort of paints Peter Boyle in this really cool Mephistopheles role where he's promising a political career to Robert Redford and the movie is about how Robert Redford goes from an idealistic community activist who wants to distance himself from the the politics of his father to a politician. Uh, And he ends up winning the election. And that there's this ebullient moment at the end where nobody ever says, hey, you won. You're just watching them watch the returns. The returns come in. (laughs) Their campaign headquarters just breaks out. It's crazy. Uh, Everyone's congratulating Robert Redford. Uh, And it's this come from behind victory and you didn't expect that he would win but just by being unconventional and going on the debate and just sort of speaking his mind he ends up beating this incumbent politician in california and winning the election and what is so fantastic about the candidate uh does either of you guys know the movie i've never seen it uh and i know you posted like some frames from it and, and peter boyle is unrecognizable well, he's got a big old beard. Yeah, he looks. Yeah, as, yeah he's this weird Svengali kind it's of. It's not just his his recipe. beard. It's this this his mien. I mean, he's just this. Yeah. He has this this like this seriousness about him, and this I don't know that I don't just this force that I I haven't seen from him. It's really it's really a unique Peter Boyle uh, performance. It's amazing work. Yeah, Kelly, Wan, you don't know the candidate. I always get it mixed up with Parallax View when it's on, and then I ah, never see well, it. Yeah, no, Parallax View is a sort of a paranoia. Parallax View has got to be post-Watergate, is it? I don't know. But Parallax View so. is very much a, a paranoia poli- political thriller. Uh, a the candidate, candidate sounds like network, but upbeat. And you know what? Exactly. And actually, <laughs> uh, uh, Dan Quayle was mocked by the writer of Candidate because Dan Quayle was asked for his inspirations. And at one point, he says, yeah, I find it very inspiring to watch The Candidate. And the writer, I think, posted like an open letter to Dan Quayle saying – uh, you idiot! It's a satire. It's dark, <laughs> you know. Because here's what's amazing about the candidate that I want to point out. And this is my favorite thing about the candidate. If you guys are going to ruin the ends of Hoosiers and uh, fast, break. Fast, fast break, fast break, and the natural for me, let me ruin the end of the candidate. The point of the candidate, the end of it, uh, you know, it's not just that Robert Redford becomes a successful politician and he wins, and his father literally embraces him and says, "Son, you're a politician now," and that, that's that's an important moment. It's almost like, a, is this a redemptive moment? You don't know. And so there's this ebullient celebration in the the 
the campaign headquarters, and Robert Redford's trying to get Peter Boyle's attention. He needs to tell him something. He has to, or he's got to ask him something. He's like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you now. And people are cheering, and there's a swirl of activity, and it's just 70 cinema at, at its finest. Peter Boyle drags him away, and they get a brief respite in a, in a hotel room. And he said, Peter Boyle's like, okay, quickly, what is it? They're going to find us here in a minute. You've, you've got a second. What do you need to know? And Robert Redford says, what do we do now? And Peter Boyle doesn't hear him. He's like, what? And then at that point, everybody breaks in, and they're, they're congratulatory, and they're celebrating, and they drag Peter Boyle away. And Robert Redford says again, what do we do now? And Peter Boyle doesn't hear him, and you barely hear the dialogue. Like Michael Ritchie deliberately drowns out that second uh, repeti- the, the repetition of the line. And it uh. gets at this idea that – the act of running for office is completely different from the act of governance. Right. Topical. Political, an election is exactly so topical. Uh, and, you know, we it saw makes me it, a little sick to my stomach. Now that you yeah. It does now, but uh, it, it's, you know, it, this is this weirdly prescient thing before people were cynical about government, before, before Watergate, uh, and certainly before Trump. This, this observation. That running is one thing, governing is another, and one does not prepare you for the other in the least. Uh, and it's still, just, and and there's just it's almost like this tragic ending. Seeing Robert Redford, who's become the successful politician, and his hair is cut, quaffed, and his sideburns are shaved, and he doesn't look nearly as rustic as he did at the beginning of the movie. He looks super like official and handsome, Polished. political. And there he is right. in this room, looking confused, having no idea what to do, and and Peter Boyle not being there to tell him. Uh, I think you could watch it now, though, and go, well, it's still Redford. Like, he could rise to the occasion. But if, like, Trump's the actual president, while you watch it, you're like, yeah, all right. I just assumed it was a super serious movie. I didn't realize it was uh, Michael Ritchie. You actually – I think, like, IMDb might even list it as, like, a comedy. Like, it it, – it definitely sort of plays as like, whoa, look how crazy it is that he's winning, and and it's it's upbeat and cheery, and I can completely imagine Dan Quayle watching it and having no idea what, what the message is, uh, but the the ending is super dark and is the point of the movie. Uh, so that's I my favorite in victory. Quite yeah, Kelly, I mean, just as great '70s cinema uh, and great yeah. Redford too. Like it's so cool. I like '70s Redford a lot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, the listeners have chosen for Come From Behind Victories. Oh, God, where'd the email go? Uh, Paul Weimer says, hi, guys, 10 seconds on the clock. Did I get my picks in on time? He did. Uh, the Wachowski, ew, gross. The Wachowski Speed Racer. <laughs> what? Uh, he says it does That's look a lot like enemy, and it's got gaudy color and over-the-top characters in action. But Speed Racer himself restarting his stalled car at the end of the climactic race and catching up to win from dead last place is pretty sweet for a comeback visually. <laughs> he, has, he has to start his car. That's the, uh, so that would, that would never happen. If you're ever in last place, you don't just like magically rush forward to the head of the pack. That's so stupid. Unless it's Mario Kart. Number two, in searching for Bobby Fisher in the final chess match, uh. match Josh, plays hard but is pushed around the board by his opponent Jonathan for most of the match. Finally, to the delight of his hustler chess teacher Vinny, played by Lawrence Fishburne, who sees it first, Josh finally sees the sequence of moves that'll give him a win out of his desperate straits and even offers his opponent a tie, knowing that he can now beat him. Take the draw, he says. His opponent, not seeing the danger to his position, mockingly declines to his rapid and inexorable defeat. 
Uh, I couldn't make it work. I couldn't make chess sound exciting. Oh, what? It's such a twist of the knife that you turn down the draw. All right. I I do like that one. Uh, Number one, in The Prince's Bride. Oh, well, okay. The Six-Fingered Man has it all over. Has it all over <laughs> in Inigo Montoya, mocking him for his life's failures after his cowardly knife throw has given him a seemingly mortal wound. But with fortitude and determination, Montoya slowly manages to come back. Fortitude and determination, a.k.a. I'm the protagonist. Uh, that's my observation, not Paul Weimers. But with fortitude and determination, Montoya slowly manages to come back from the stabbing uh, as the other dude finds out he can't finish him off. The movie patiently lets us see him get the upper hand slowly and then decisively with Montoya finally dispatching his opponent after making him back for mercy. <laughs> Fortitude and determination sounds like a Patrick O'Brien novel. Or Jane oh, yes. Right. That's the, that's, the, that's the name of both of the ships. Uh, he's got a runner-up, which – oh, uh, yeah, I'll read this because I like this movie. And uh, Although we don't see it, the evocative description of the game-ending Super Bowl Hail Mary pass that Tom Cruise gives in Oblivion. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, right, he's like yeah. saying it over the mic to Andrea Riseborough uh, when he's disarming – or no, he's repairing one of the robots. Oh, okay. I thought he actually passed something. Because he's actually in a stadium. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, he's describing some Super Bowl he watched or whatever. I don't know. Well, let me ask you a question, Tom. Are you, are you okay? Dingus, are you are you an effective team? Chechnya. <laughs> we all do in different movies. Dingus, yeah. what was your are you okay? Was that that's the rule? You have to do a different movie. Absolutely not. Oh, oh, right, right, right. After the the fighter thing, where uh, poor little Olga Kurilenko. Kuril- I used to know how to say. Kuril- it. Hold on. Olga Kurilenko. Right. It took me a moment. Kurilenko. Right. Says. Does she say no or she just shakes her head? Yeah, she, she says no. <laughs> like, on your, like that. on your Kurilenko stinks. Yeah. That's Russian. That's Chris Hobson, who is, by the way, making us watch, well, uh, encouraging us to watch next week's movie. He won the, the list, make us watch whatever you want, fun drive. He chooses a different Jean Claude Van Damme movie, Kelly Wand, called uh, Bloodsport. Oh, uh, it's a good one. Frank Ducks is uh-huh. cheated in the final fight of the Kumite. Uh, and I know how to pronounce that word from watching a movie called Lady Bloodfist. But his um, name is Dukes. It's anime for white people. No, it's Ducks. What are you talking about? D-U-X, Ducks. Rhymes Dukes. with Lux, the detergent. Uh, is cheated in the final fight of the Kumite after Chong Lee throws blinding dust in his eyes and beats the pulp out of him. Beaten and blind, all seems hopeless for Ducks until he remembers his secret weapon. Karate lesson flashbacks. He uh, wax on. To flight to fight blindfolded then so why can't he fight blind now he slowly opens his eyes blocks a punch without looking kicks chong lee back and gets back on his feet paul herzog's triumph score kicks in and he starts crushing chong lee climaxing in three slow motion 360 degree jump kicks oh my god yeah chong lee collapses and ducks takes back his friend's Harley Davidson bandana that Lee had stolen and tied around his own leg after crippling him in an earlier fight. Oh, Turn off that targeting computer. <laughs> All right. Uh, serious blood sporting. How many times have you seen the movie Bloodsport? Me? I've never seen it. Why would I ever see that? I'd see, you know, I don't see John claude Van Damme movies. Twice. 
Oh, good lord. Really, did that just happen? <laughs> yeah. Is that the answer you're looking for, Dingus? Is that the correct answer? No. <laughs> Why? I've seen it zero that times. That was my speech about blood sport. This was one of those movies that when I was in college, we just we had a videotape of that and we watched it over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I watched Bloodsport so many times. Uh, uh, we just we loved that freaking movie. It's we loved it. Blood oh sport. man, I loved Bloodsport. It's so great. Bloodsport. Is there yeah. a second one? There is, but I don't think. Uh, I only watched that once. Jean-Claude Van Damme is in it. All right. Oh, okay. What, Tom? He couldn't get hired for the sequel. So sad. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know who played his his friend with a, a Harley Davidson thing on him? On Let me him? guess. Uh, uh, shoot, Rob Schneider. No. Oh. I don't remember the actor's name, but he was in Revenge of the Nerds. Keith he's the guy who He's the guy who yells, nerds. Keith Carradine. Uh, Ogre. Oh. Yeah, Ogre. Very good. Yeah, but I don't remember the actor's name. I don't remember the character's name. (laughs) I don't remember his race. (laughs) Oh, God. I hate myself. What? All right. That's a great couple. Revenge of the Nerds. uh, Arthur Jivalon (laughs) Jaleli says, number three, the 13th warrior. In order to intimidate an ambitious prince, Herger, it's a weird name, Uh Herger, challenges one of his subordinates to a duel and gets beat up for the first 99% of it. When it looks like he'll be killed, Herger rallies and decapitates his opponent. Herger uh-huh. uses this strategic comeback to show the prince that he and his cronies are out of their league. Uh, Is Herger Antonio Banderas? No. He's oh. like a big uh, guy with long hair. Is that an Antonio Banderas movie or am I thinking of something else? No, no it, it is. It's also alive. a John McTiernan movie. Right. Isn't it a time travel movie? Like Vikings go back in time or something? No, that's no. time. No, that's it's a Paul It's Walker. a Crichton movie. It's a Michael Crichton movie. 13th Warrior is. Yeah, so somebody travels in time or resurrects something from See? DNA or something, right? There's a witch woman in it. Is there an amusement really... park featuring robot Vikings? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's called Eaters of the Dead, the book. And they changed oh, that off. Awesome yeah, very good. I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah, Remember that, they I'm, sleep in a circle facing outwards, like sleep in the circle, and then they pretend they're asleep, they snore, but they're actually sneaking. not sleeping. Yeah, They have their swords out, which I think would tip off anyone watching. They're holding their swords. I'm If they didn't change the title, I probably would have seen that thinking it was like a zombie movie, and I would have been pissed. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's a zombie title to you? Either. Oh, I see. Yeah. I thought 13th Warrior was your zombie. <laughs> that I don't expect it to be a zombie movie. Uh, Arthur Jovalala the Jaudelis, number two movie. Wow. Zombies don't eat the dead. Rem- <laughs> that is kind of true, isn't it? Eaters yeah. of the dead, meaning they're the dead who eat. Right. It's like winners of the fight. The dead During eaters. the fight, they win. The dead mm-hmm. who are, yeah, yeah. Like eat. Wow. Uh, remember the Titans. When they're about to lose the state <laughs> title game, oh god, more basketball, the Titans pull off a miracle end-around pl- oh, uh, end-around play. It's not basketball. How dare you. Well, they do a miracle end-around play, which sounds dirty, to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Snatch also sounds dirty. Alright, Guy Ritchie. Hmm. Oh, number one. You related to Michael Ritchie? Check this out, yeah. you guys. Arthur Javalogeli's number one pick... Rob Roy. During the uh, duel, the much quicker Tim Roth is cutting the tired and slow Liam Neeson to ribbons and soon has him at his mercy. But instead of killing him quickly, 
Roth taunts Neeson, which gives Neeson enough time. It's not that he taunts him, Arthur Jelly. It's that he looks over to John Hurt because he's about to kill him. Uh, uh, it gives Neeson enough time and motivation to – oh, he does taunt him actually. All right, but that's not what gives Neeson Yeah, does he taunt him a second time? No, he's just taunt singular. It's a single taunt. Uh, One taunt. It's taunt off. Yeah, it's a taunt. It's a taunt. He's a a taunt. Uh, It gives Neeson enough time and motivation to grab Roth's sword and finish him in one strike. Roth had the duel won, but his overconfidence allowed Neeson to make a comeback. And Neeson's bulk. Uh, let's see, uh, and then so this is apparently an unauthorized submission. Dingus has passed me a note. What is this, Dingus? This is from an email that we got. It might be unauthorized. You don't have to read it if you don't it want to. It did come to the three by three at quarter to three address. Right. It did come through official channels. Michael Flynn walked it over. It's sports. All right. Oh, Kelly won. So it looks like it's our friend Bruce Garrick trying to submit things incorrectly. So I would therefore will not say that his number three pick is longest yard. The remake he specifies his number <laughs> what? Three is miracle, which is the the uh, the soccer movie with Kurt Russell fighting hockey. And his number one is Wolf. <laughs> Arr. Which Good I think just, no, he left off the word teen. He obviously meant Teen Wolf, Kelly one. Oh. <laughs> All right, yes. runners up. What do you guys have for runners up from Come From Behind Victories? Um. I had uh, the Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, where they uh, spoiling that. Now I know they win. They're gonna get kicked <laughs> out. They go. The referee just comes up. They're losing, and an umpire comes up and says, "Okay, yeah, uh, the Houston Astros have to play now, so get out." Like we're, we, you guys ran too long, and then the Bad News Bears are like, "Fuck you!" And then Tanner Boyle starts running around while the guys in suits try to catch him, and he's like too fast for them. <laughs> And then does Yakety Sax play during that chase? No, it's like ominous music. Oh no, is this the end? They're gonna lose again because they lost in the first movie, like Rocky. Oh, thanks for spoiling that one as well. And then uh, Wayne Devane starts. He gets out. He's the coach, and he's all. He starts clapping, going, "Let them play! Let them play!" And then the crowd gets into it, and then they oh, the crowd claps and lets them play the game. I wish that would work during these town halls when Republicans have been holding forth from their constituents who start chanting, do your job. Cause it's the lock same, them up. It's the same co- cadence. Oh, yeah, lock them up. It's actually lock her up. Do your job. Let them play. Lock her up. Yeah. Those all are the same. Huh, okay. Goobble gobble. No, that, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> and then I also add match point because at the end, doesn't he have to like – he's trying to throw a ring over a railing into some water and what do you he misses call that, it. What do you call that contest? Tennis? <laughs> Throwing, that's what you do in tennis, is you try to throw a ring into the water. Yeah. But, okay. Well, you're trying I, to throw it over the net, see? And then, but in tennis, you want it to go over the net to win, but in this, it goes, it like bonks back, and I guess for some reason he doesn't notice it, and then he winds up getting off because of it. It's an like odd ring. Gone, yeah. It's an odd sound effect for a bouncing ring. Bonk. That's not generally what I would, the onomatopoeia I would have opted for. And also Harlem Globetrotters of Gilligan's Island. We're Thanks really for spoiling that one as well. Great. Now I know they win. Landau's robots. And then... uh, Dingus Kelly Wan wouldn't know this. He's not as advantaged as we are in this regard. Mm-hmm. But how do they win in Pitch Perfect? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you oh, about. Oh, Jesus, God almighty. Because I meant to look that up after watching the 8 Mile thing, but didn't have time. Uh, I figured you were going to talk about it because I, th- I thought you posted something about pitch, a Pitch Perfect video game. and That's why I thought you were watching it. Well, no, Pitch Perfect um, 2 is terrible because they win, 
by doing Haley Steinfeld's song that she wrote in her dorm room. Instead of classics, which is what's cool about these acapella competitions, is here's their acapella interpretation of a classic. They decide, hey, we're going to do some crappy emo tween girl song that nobody's ever heard of, and that's going to secure the victory. Uh, thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks. Nice work. On your Wait, isn't Pitch Perfect the one with Vin Diesel where he has the eyes? Actually, that was good, Kelly. One, I did enjoy that one. See, uh, wait, listen. this is the teacher. <laughs> uh, no, what? What now? Nothing. I thought you Elizabeth said she Banks was... directed. She directed the sequel to Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect. It's awful. Pitch Perfect is great. Pitch Perfect Two is horrible. Uh, yeah. Hmm. All right, and there's a Pitch Perfect Three on the way, and the new addition to the cast is a young lady named Ruby Rose. Mm. Oh. What's weird is that she doesn't sing and she can't hear. <laughs> That's coming from behind. John Wick 2 reference, Dingus. Yeah. All right, Kelly Wan, what is next? Dingus, do you have any runners up? Uh, is there a call uh, from my victory? No. Or a midnight runner? Okay. I was going to ask you about Pitch Perfect. I mean, the obvious would be a karate kid, but uh, right, I was going right. to ask if, if we could uh, t- talk about Pitch Perfect. But I don't think the way the scoring works is like a comfort behind yeah, it. Like, just, they just win because they're awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah, you don't need anything beyond that in Pitch Perfect. It's Peyton Reed, right? That's like the guy who did uh, uh, yeah. uh, Down With Love and yeah, mm-hmm. Pitch Perfect, Kelly Wan, Dingus and I maintain, and anybody listening who's seen it maintains, Pitch Perfect, great movie. Yep. Mm. Does it live up to the title? And then some. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm. Why wasn't the sequel called Pitch Perfecter? Yeah. Superfection. Super pitch perfect. Or catch perfect. Kelly wants summer catch super perfection. What is next week's three by three? Okay, you know how. You to remind me of something. Oh, okay. Hang on, let me write this down. Uh, Yeah, so next week. Okay, I have a friend who. uh, They like horror movies. Oh, but they're neat. they're scared of cats. Wow. So when they go see a horror movie and there's a cat scare, they actually get more scared than if it wasn't a cat scare. So this move this week's three by three challenge is three best cat scares in movies. We've if you'd like that. to, Tom, we've done that. Nice try. Cat <laughs> you have a backup. Yep. We did cat scares? We did, and I actually even step, stipulated they had to be like cat scares that don't suck. Like, they have to be cat scares you actually like. Well, cat these scares that suck. work. <laughs> so All basically, right, this uh, could be three worst cat scares? <laughs> yeah, we did that. I can't believe you don't remember that one. That's such a horror movie one. All right, well, I was kidding. That's not really <laughs> Um It's uh, three best uh, falling chandeliers. If you'd like to participate in this three-by-three three challenge... Wait, what? Three best falling best chandeliers in motion pictures. Send your choices to 3x3 at quarter to three dot com, and I will read all of them on the air. Can we I'll go back to cat scares instead? Three best cat scares. Can't, can't even spell that. chandeliers. Can we just do three best anime synopses? <laughs> what? If you have one of your favorite anime synopses, send them to 3x3 at quarter2.3.com next year. We will read them on the air. We will accept falling chandeliers or synopses of anime. Either one next is legitimate. Year. 
We would like actually mix it up. Include a falling chandelier in your favorite anime synopsis. When you submit that to 3 x 3 quarter to 3 make sure you include plenty of character names in the anime synopses. I just want to specify because that oftentimes clears up any confusion the synopses may create. Just want to say. Like I get confused between cats and chandeliers. Kelly Wand, uh, explain to Kelly Wand what happened to the movie that we saw tonight. This is this is awesome, Kelly Wand. So Dingus and I go Ghost to see Ghost in the Shell, right? We go to our local theater, which has great seating. Uh, it's assigned seating. You can we've even got it timed where if you leave right at the time of the movie, you don't have to sit through any trailers. We like our theater. So what happens when we go to see Ghost in the Shell, Dingus? Uh, so we get there just right on time. Uh, Tom goes in a little before me because I have to do two things. I have to buy a beer and, <laughs> and the, that then I have to, well, it can take a while because they have to get a special key it. to go over to the thing to open the, because, right. you know, the they have to be very careful to open the very, very special beer cabinet and uh, then they have to pour it into stuff. a plastic cup and. And they have to put one of those plastic um, bracelets around your wrist so you don't get too many beers. So it does take a little bit of time. Uh, and then I had to call my son to say goodnight to him because I was going to a movie that <laughs> was going to overlap when he went You're to bed. first. Yeah, of course. What, what are you talking it's about? Of here, oh God. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I'm here. Oh, God. He doesn't shotgun the beer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then I walk in. I find our, our row, sit down next to Tom uh, after he's uh, he's pretending not to watch the, the rock trailer that's on. Um, and then the movie starts, and, and the words are all blurry. Uh-oh. Yeah, the title card and, comes up, and it's like, yeah. It's like, because I thought, oh, my glasses are screwed up. Yeah. And so I leaned over to Tom, and I said, does that look like it's out of focus, or is this just just me? And Tom's like, no, no, it looks like that. So I, I got up, and I went out to the back of the back up to the concession i'm like this theater the because we waited for the movie to start by the way the picture looked that way as well it wasn't just a title card the the movie comes on and that's a little blurry as well right Mm. so Uh, so so the uh, the girl behind the counter is like yeah okay i'll check on that i'm like you need to check on it now and fix it now because (laughs) it's out of focus missy did you call it and so yeah, uh, the whole movie was out of focus for the whole. What? Time. Yep. Why? So afterwards, I I went and got uh, our money back, even the Fandango. Like he gave me the price of the tickets back, and I was like, "What?" So I just have to eat the Fandango fee, and he's like, "Oh, well, let me give you that as well." They put another three dollar charge back on my card. Uh, but uh, this speculation was that they accidentally were running the three D version 3D. settings yep. for a two D print. Or whatever the digital equivalent is, and then you liked the visuals, even though you couldn't see. Them. Yeah, Ugh, so and I actually, I actually brought the as the credits were rolling, I actually went and I got the manager and I brought him back into the theater with me, and I said, "Look at that screen." Yeah, and he's and like, "Yeah, that, that looks." Uh, I said, it's out of focus. "Do you right. do you see that?" And then he said, "Well, we did whatever adjustments we could." Uh, there's not much <laughs> else we can do. We called the we technician. Oh, so well, he they're... knew he knew the whole time. And there's another her. dude who went in before we even got there, before the previews started, and told him the same thing. At least two other people told him. Right. 
and they did nothing about it during That's such the showing. Well, I think they, was, and they, I can't believe you guys stayed. They literally. Well, we had to. We, we saw it, like we waited we until the last. Show. Yeah, we did it right before the show because I, I otherwise definitely wouldn't have watched it. But uh, see, it, we, we. I mean, I, I think it's seriously a matter. Of, they couldn't do anything about it because it was a Sunday night, and whoever is supposed to monitor that stuff probably only works like nine to five, right. or only works certain right. hours, and we're there for a, a fairly late Sunday. Well, I guess seven p.m. Sunday night showing. So whoever does whatever technical stuff is required to fix that is just not on the premises and is not available at that point. Like there's no, at Skull Island, but it was supposed to be 3d and then it wasn't. And then a couple people left. They're like, Oh, and I was like, good. And I took the glass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. You got the better deal. Yeah. That problem. yeah. Well, this poor guy, I mean, I was really irate with this dude. And we walked back out of the I theater and I, and I was like, what, what were you thinking? You knew that this was going on. And the poor guy, he goes, yeah, we just don't think that many people. And Care. I said, are going to notice. And he goes, yeah. Dingus raged at the guy. Dingus was like, that's such a dumb response. He could have just at least apologized. Dude, sorry. The guy's he did. Here. He apologized yeah. profusely, but his thing was, it's out of my hands. And Tom was super nice to the guy. And Tom's like, but yeah, I understand. But saying no one's going to notice, so let's well, not say anything to the people. Like, not even going to go, hey, guys. Well, from his, his perspective, you know, like, as Tom said to him, and I think I heard you say this, Tom, was like, I, I understand that. It's kind of out of your hands now. It's not like it used to be where you can just like adjust a knob to make the focus come into focus. It's just not the way it works anymore. Um, you have to have a technician come in or whatever, and maybe it's a digital thing. Who knows? But it's not the way it used to be. Like one of my first jobs was working as a projectionist in a movie theater, and you had to do that kind of thing. But nowadays, it's not that kind of thing. And he literally – he literally can't do anything about it. And so from his perspective, he has to think, do I cancel the show or do I let it run and refund a certain amount of money? He could at least tell you what's up. Like you guys had to go ask. He could have gone. He could have come in and go, all right, look. Yeah, like the, the, not, benefit, the thinking the benefit to him to telling? I mean, he, he has to run a few people's money. Well, oh, yeah, just, the, because – the benefit is to get up and say, you know, there's there's an issue. If you'd like to keep watching, go ahead and keep watching. We'll run it, but otherwise, you know, we'll refund your money in the lobby. Right. I mean, I he couldn't have fixed it. I concede that, but to just not say anything and let it go on, I think that's poor management. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I'm a pretty easy room on that because I don't expect anything to ever work. So basically, we saw Ghost <laughs> in the Shell as if there was a veneer of Vaseline over the screen. Right. Well, there was the way or, I was watching. Oh. Or, as, or as if we had uh, gone into a 3D screening without our glasses, kind of. But not, as, not he, as bad as that. As if we had turned a few beers. Right. Yeah, and he didn't like the visuals. And you liked the visuals, you didn't even see them. No, right? Imagine, if, just, they'd, imagine if they'd looked good. Imagine how good they were. <laughs> Maybe they only looked good your way, and I'm stupid. <laughs> you're like, you know what? If you see that of focus, you'll get something a little... It really does feel like the future. It is it is a weird moment where you're like, let me clean my glasses again. Is it me? Is it me? And then you hear other people in the lobby going, what's going on? And you're like, all right, I'm not going. Because what sucks is that's a movie that one of the 
it's right. not that good. So one of the few – it's one of those few instances where, well, at least I saw it on a big screen. Like that would right. be one of the There's, consolations, especially if, like me, you enjoyed the visuals, and the big screen was just the liability rather than uh, – And Scarlet is kind of a visual feast. And that's kind of where my rage comes into it a little bit because I, I hear so many people, especially people who are parents or family people, saying it's just not worth worth it to go to the theater because of all these things. Yeah, that no, they're right. And, and I'm an evangelist for going to the theater because I think it's a great experience and it was important to me gro- growing up. Um, so it's, it's an argument against to 3D. Me. That's what it really is. Yeah, thanks 3D. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, Kelly. I think you put the cap on that. But That's I also, real I think part of the saving grace too is like, like I, if this had been Logan, oh my god, I would have been so... Like, if this has been a movie that I yeah, loved... Gave a shit like if, if I was getting... Like, as Ghost in the Shell was going on, and I was going, eh, I'm not so into this, so okay, it's alright that it's out of focus. But if it had been Logan, the longer it went on, the more peeved I would... I, I would have just been in, infuriated by the yeah. uh, out of focus by the time it was over. I would just would have been so pissed that they deprived me the experience of, of having that movie revealed to me for the first time the way it's supposed to look. That would have just yeah. been unconscionable. <laughs> right. Right. But you wouldn't have show. seen it ever. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> if you like, right, the, so the, yeah. That, that's let that be a cautionary tale. Going mm-hmm. to the theater, wait to rent movies like Ghost in the Shell. Logan, Don't, uh, yeah. you see that in the theater. Ghost in the Shell, eh, rent it. Uh, do also watch Rock and Rule, which <laughs> is movie. This is a cartoon from 1983, I believe, an old cartoon, uh, and it is the winner of the Make Us Watch Whatever You Want Fun Drive for 2017. Congratulations to Chris Hobson for that. And then also join us for our three Wait, Does Chris Hobson have anything to say about which version we should watch? There's uh, does he? I don't know. Why, are there versions? Yeah, he has an email about before you see rock and rule. He's specific about that. Oh, he wants us. Oh, oh, let's see. There's a Canadian release. Don't see that. See the American release. Well, yeah, okay. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, watch the American. Oh, God, Lord, look at that picture. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Pete, we're watching that? <laughs> we're watching another cartoon. 1983, best year for movies ever. Uh, All right, <laughs> we'll find out what it is. So uh, join us for that. And Even our the winner doesn't care. Our three by three of... Best chandeliers falling or anime synopses, which include lots of character names. We'll do that on next week's show. I'm worried people were listening. Ah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I know that at least one of my picks will be an anime synopsis, Kelly Wand. Uh-huh. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. I don't give my consent. I don't care what the weatherman says when the weatherman says it's raining. You'll never hear me complaining. I'm certain the sun will shine. I don't care how the weather vane points when the weather vane points to gloomy. It's gotta be sunny to me when your eyes look into mine. Jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those jeepers? Jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Hey, Dingus, I only want a spider tank's brain, not its body. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! 
That was not your choice to make. <laughs> See, that's what an actual brain would sound like if it was in a robot. I'm just here for the girls in the bear. Uh, is that what you said in, to the 3D guy? Mm-hmm. The 3D guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's just trying to push 3D on you. I don't care if you can see it. Why didn't you just give you 3D glasses? Because <laughs> the movie yeah. was over. <laughs> oh, I gonna... see. Well, just as a complimentary 